0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where uh, we give you the tools, the information you need To understand what's going on in the news and around the world so you can make better decisions for your life, for your family, top of the morning to you. Tuesday morning, and by the way, a great day because today is Curling is Cool Day.
3: Have you ever gone curling? Uh, No. That's how I met my wife. Oh, really? I I grew up with uh, four women in my house, and that's all they would do is curl. I've often told you my wife asked me out. Yes. That's what she asked me to go do.
2: Well, did she do that because she knew she would school you?
3: No. It just happened to be something that was coming up. I think
2: that would be a fun date. A lot
3: of time to talk, maybe to, you know, scoot across the ice together. And there happened to be a facility because of the, Mm -hmm. at the time, the upcoming 2002 Olympics. 2002, yeah. Here in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. So up up in. The Ogden area. Did they you get it. good at it? Were no, you... we were up there for like two hours, and I fell down all night. <gasps> oh, did she help you up? Yeah, that was that was really what it is. is That's I'm, cute. Yeah, she just kept seeing me fall, and she's like, "Oh, look at him. He can't stand. <laughs> look at this unmanly man and on the ice. It's it's a game of marbles. Is that what it is? Kind of. Yeah, with, big, with with brooms. Mass with brooms and chunks of cement with handles on them. Brooms and bullseyes. Yeah. It's kind of just marbles. It's it's kind of weird. Is it um do, did you get good at it at all in an hour? Not really. I mean, you get kind of a feel for what you were trying to do. You could move you when you're sweeping the broom, yeah. you can kind of see okay, I I guess I'm affecting it Cause you can you, you, you can see it. You can watch the stone like move one way or another oh, because neat. you're you're causing friction on the ice, it's move that's, you know, drawing this... it one way or another so you can aim it, I don't know. It's 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 difficult. But do we need a day for curling? That's you know, that's the big argument that no one is having today because no one. By the way, those those bombs of granite, they're 40 pound stones. Oh, yeah. But they're heavy. They're gliding across ice. Yeah, but you could I mean, you could get caught under one of those. (laughs) <laughs> Run up underneath the stone
2: That would be horrible It's also banana bread day yeah, Which so is my favorite day There's a reason to celebrate And by the way That's Ben. That's the next flavor of ice cream you need to make
1: Yeah banana bread Or just banana Banana
2: bread Bread Okay mm. Can you do that? Yeah I've made cornbread ice cream Ugh. Really? Whoa Why? Let's do some. Let's do that Why don't you make some banana bread ice cream? Okay No now
1: no. Go. Just go. Mosquedaddle. Okay, okay, I brought my ice cream machine, so I'll just go to the
3: kitchen and, and work on it. <laughs> is that like your Snoopy snow cone machine? Is it the same <laughs> or is it different? It's
2: his Holly Hobby uh, oven. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring my- um, New light bulb? Exactly. Okay. Poor Ben. No, Ben, I really want you to try that. That's a
3: big seller. Okay. Banana bread is my favorite Cliff Bar, too. Yeah, you made—didn't you tell the guy that? Yeah, it's my favorite. Is he going to send you? We had him on last week. He said he was, but I don't think he got our address. No.
2: Darn it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, today, interesting thing. Do you think that you look at Hillary Clinton— Ah, it's hard to use Hillary as an example. Do you think you look at Hillary Clinton differently than you do maybe the other six men in the race? When Hillary comes off talking strong and confident, does, do you interpret her demeanor differently than you do when Ted Cruz comes off confident and strong?
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: Fact. True fact.
3: And in the same way, I see them as similar yeah, and that I don't know if I trust either you don't one. trust either, either one of them <laughs> Yeah, I,
1: I
2: don't like when either of them come out confident and strong.
3: That's why I think this is a it's a hard
2: topic we're going to be discussing today simply. One reason is because there's some interesting research about how we view women and how we view men um, in their conversation, in their talk in in a political race um, or just even at work. But the problem is we all – a lot of people also have a skewed view of Hillary Clinton anyway. She's just been around yeah, so there's, long. There's
3: other more – there's other polarizing issues surrounding her that cause more uh, – it kind of skews the opinion. But the the overall uh, idea here is uh, she was accused initially she's too shrill. Right. Right. When when, when when she raises her voice, just like the male candidates have done when they get – you know, you get emotional. You start raising your voice. She's yelling. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, they're being. Bob confident. Woodward
2: said that. Yeah, she's and they, she comes off shrill. Others have said when she laughs, it sounds like a cackle. Yes. You know, she's called a lot of names, but the research behind what we're going to be discussing um, is it's some pretty interesting research that women are seen differently when they come off strong.
3: And some of this has to do with some bias. Yep. That maybe a woman shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And it's interesting because w- there's something to
2: this. Because where are all of the women?
3: With Bernie, now, now, now,
2: think about it. Think of exactly. <laughs> but think about it. A lot of the women well, the are following ones. Bernie. But even the women don't see Hillary as likable. No. So the question is, do you need to be likable to be elected? And women have a disadvantage of seeming likable and competent. Mm-hmm. The minute they're really competent, super likable. No, not likable. Not the minute they're they don't they don't seem as competent, you might see them as more likable. Huh. For example, the who is the governor from Alaska? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin, seen by many as very likable, very nice, fun-loving woman, not seen as incredibly competent. I mean, some would but not seen as like a stellar of competency to and then you have a past secretary of state, two-time senator, first lady of the state and the country, highly
3: competent. Nobody would
2: really question her competency, really, but
3: not is, likable. Is ambition intimidating? Apparently. If you want to do something big, is that a problem? Yeah. And and maybe I don't know. maybe part of the deal is too. It's
2: it's it's not – this isn't just like let's be feminist. This is about the facts that men and women don't trust it. So it's harder for a woman then to be able to sell it. How do you sell it if you can't be likable? And then we live in a very personality-focused world and candidacy. Donald Trump, the biggest personality on earth, not necessarily the most competent on the issues, but he's
3: killing it. Not necessarily likable either. Yeah, interesting. But still pulling the now, vote. Now we've seen the polls that have come back that said that you, you have Trump and Clinton leading, but both of them have some likability issues. Yeah. But they tend, But they're leading. Right. You know, the same group of people they're talking to is like, oh, they're not really likable, but they're a good leader. Interesting. Or they have those sort of qualities that people want to see in a leader. So it's interesting. So so Dr. Uh, Rosalind Barnett will be joining us and she's going to be talking
2: about some of the research that uh, is now plaguing Hillary, but I think really all women, because again, uh, Carly Fiorina, where did she go? Can you be She was accused of some of the same things Isn't it crazy? But I think it's important that we at least understand it. And Um, I think it's especially important that we understand it and then figure out maybe what on earth you can do about it. We'll be talking with Dr. Rosalind Barnett in just a few minutes. But before we do that, Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world?
3: Thanks, Matt. The size of Donald Trump's win in Nevada and the race for second place between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz remain big unknowns. as Republicans head out to caucus today in Nevada. Nevada's expected turnout is roughly around 40,000 people, less than a quarter of Iowa's turnout in a state of about half the size. A CNN poll conducted earlier this month gave gave Trump 45% among likely caucus voters, way ahead of Rubio at 19. And Cruz at seventeen, Ted Cruz could find some issues because Ben Carson has yet to drop out and has a strong has strong support from religious conservative caucus goers who would otherwise vote for Cruz. Also, Rubio is drawing upon his brief connection with the Mormon Church and his time spent in Nevada as a kid uh, growing up uh, has grown his support since Jeb Bush dropped out. Yes, so he's he's getting some inroads the in the Mormon state. Also, factor the eight year old Mormon factor. <laughs> the eight year old Mormon. <laughs> And, uh, and continuing with that, Ted Cruz on Monday announced that he had asked his spokesperson Rick Tyler to resign after his campaign pushed a video that made it appear that Senator Marco Rubio was mocking a Cruz staffer's Bible. Here's Ted Cruz.
1: I have made clear in this campaign that we will conduct this campaign with the very highest standards of integrity. That has been how we've conducted it from day one. If other candidates choose to go into the gutter, we will not do the same.
3: And on you go with that. Uh, Rubio lashed out against the Cruz campaign Monday morning for the video that showed him walking past a Cruz staffer reading the Bible and according to the on-screen text, telling staffers that there are not many answers in there pointing to the scripture he was reading. Right? hmm. What Rubio said was all the answers are in there. But the, the communications director, because it was a little fuzzy on the audio, just wrote, oh, not a lot of answers in there. So... Rubio, he's anti-Bible. You know? Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Again,
2: they've already said, everyone thinks, you know, Ted's going to say whatever right now to get
3: elected. But it wasn't Ted. It was his Ted's communications Peeps, director. Ted's peoples. But Ted is saying, we're going to keep this above board. Just like Donald says, I didn't say. It wasn't me. Blankety, blank, 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 blank. Rubio called the move incredibly disturbing and characterized it as part of a pattern of deceptive and untrue tactics that he believes have become to define the Cruz campaign. Huh. So we'll see as, Here we go. as they fight for number two how that continues. Apple is battling against a court order to unlock one iPhone for the FBI, but the U.S. Justice Department wants the company to extract data from many more. According to a new report, there are around 12 undisclosed cases similar to that Apple was already fighting, just like the in the San Bernardino terror case. The others are using the All Writs Act of 1789 to compel Apple to bypass the, the pass lock codes on the devices used by criminals. Uh, The specifics of the roughly dozen cases haven't been disclosed publicly, but they don't involve terrorism charges, these people said. The uh, information adds weight to Apple's concerns and those of many others that the San Bernardino case will be the first of many to come. If Apple helps the FBI unlock this phone, what's to prevent the law enforcement agencies from expecting the same when it comes to other cases Mm. down the road? So what many feel they're just trying to fight, they're just, Apple's trying to force the legal process so that they can... Define some parameters of what we're, what yeah, we're talking Yeah, they want to tie about. it down They're not resisting forward. helping with the terrorism case. Yeah, but they're... Yeah. But there's a bigger... There's a bigger issue they don't want to step here. into. Yeah. Right. So they're trying to tie it down. Bill but, Gates, on the other yeah. hand, not supporting Apple in this. He thinks they should go with what the FBI is asking, at least at the moment. It's interesting. Wow. An 18-year-old man successfully tricked a teacher, principal, and car dealership, along with a county sheriff, to thinking he was a newly appointed Ohio State Senator. This, according to uh, the Toledo Blade newspaper, he goes, I was duped to uh, I was duping to prove a point that these kind of things can happen. Isaac Atkins said they could easily have Googled me, but they didn't. Atkins figured out that State Senator David Burke was set to address a class of Mohawk high school students in Sycamore ohio on january 14th so he called the teacher henry Stobbs, explaining that he was replacing burke who had resigned due to illness the teacher the principal the county sheriff and a car dealership that arranged for atkins transit to the school december 14th were none the wiser until the next month when burke showed up to a speaking engagement as planned mr Stobbs said that nothing he heard uh, there made him think this guy didn't know what he was doing said the mohawk superintendent for his convincing performance atkins has been charged with two felonies impersonating a peace officer and a telecommunications fraud charge. Huh. So the teenager walks in as a state senator and goes, hey, what's going on, guys? What that? <laughs> All they had to do was Google and find out that there's no senator by that name, but they just uh, went, okay, no problem. Google's then, right there. And then sent a car to pick him up with, wow. a, with a police escort. <laughs> <laughs> Fun day, fun day. Hey, folks,
2: uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Dr. Rosalind Barnett will be joining us, and she will be talking to us about um, some research that uh, that is showing that we, we really, truly look at our, our, our female, uh, the females in our world and in our life, differently than we do a male. A strong female is seen as, you know, rude. As seen as unlikable. And yet, a weaker female that doesn't try to, you know, be powerful and strong, we might find more likable. What does that mean for a presidential election? Does it uh, put Hillary Clinton at a disadvantage? And um, what can we do to understand this phenomenon a little bit more? Stick with us. We're going to be talking about likability. And gender up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, this year's election has brought to light many issues that face our society today. Among those issues is the ongoing discussion of women, uh, not only in the workplace, but also in politics, with Hillary Clinton forging her way through the Democratic primaries. Many critics are questioning her ability to be likable. But does likability actually equal competence? Joining us today is Dr. Rosalind Barnett. She's a senior scientist at the Women's Studies Research Center at Brandeis University. And in her article, co-written with uh, Carol Rivers, uh, titled, Must Hillary Be Likeable? They discuss the issues and struggles that women face in business, politics, really in life today, um, about uh, maybe a double standard of how we see them. Dr. Rosalind Barnett, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, so honored to have you. And uh, I know we, we struggled trying to get you getting our timing right with you, but we appreciate you making the time. This is this is an interesting subject for me, um, because I, I was thinking the other day we had uh, maybe two females running for president. I don't even remember how many of the other numbers, 17, 16 men or so, um, and And I kept hearing that there was this double standard of how we would look at men versus how we would look at women. And in your article, you presented the research to us. Do we actually see a strong female differently than a strong male? Or do we see them the same?
4: Well, there's a fair bit of evidence to suggest that both men and women see strong male and female people quite differently. So for a man, to be strong is to be powerful, to be admired, to be competent. For a woman, a, a strong woman is often seen as, as mean and nasty, yeah. as unfeminine, as not to be liked, as not to be trusted. And we see that all over the place in this, in this year, especially with, with Hillary Clinton, But everyone, not everyone, but most people agree that she's very competent, right. uh, that her, her credentials are not really questioned. The issue comes up with this issue of subjective likability, so for women, Competent women tend to be seen as unlikable, uh, but for men, competent men are seen as quite likable.
2: And 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 it's it's by both genders, right? So even yes. women and men see competent men as competent and likable, but they don't necess- And women don't necessarily see uh, competent women as likable. That's right. Wow, I
4: think we're all part. We're all part of this culture, you know, and likely or not, you know, we share the stereotypes that flood us all over the place. So, you know, um strong women are seen as, as forceful, nasty, uh just not anyone you want to be hanging out with.
2: And then I guess they're we call t- that term likable, right?
4: Yeah. They are likable. If they if they deviate from what's expected, you know the female stereotype, they step outside those those lines. They're too strong, they're too force whatever they're seen as because they violated the norm, for the gender norm, they're seen as untrustworthy and, and, and uh, nasty and not, not a nice person. Hmm. And then, so the, male, the female stereotype really operates here. where the male stereotype works in men's favor because part of that stereotype is to be assertive, is to be strong, is to be a leader. So when men are acting that way, they are conforming with their stereotype. So it's a positive. That is a positive violation.
2: Yeah. Well, well, and then all. And again, to me, it just seems to add up to the numbers. I mean, we have now we have one one super strong female candidate, a likely a likely nominee um, mm-hmm. running still against six men. But the big issue we keep hearing with Hillary and again, Hillary, I think, is is. She's. it's different, too, because a lot of people have opinions about Hillary from other parts of her life. But what you're saying, in reality, this is still running. This double bind she's in is still running underneath in our psyche.
4: Absolutely. So this would be more specific. Um, You know, the number of people who think that some of the Republican male candidates are not very likable. Right. But it doesn't seem to affect their popularity. Right. you know, they're just beating. it doesn't matter, you know. They can say whatever, and their poll numbers keep going up and up. You can't even imagine Hillary, if she thought those things, saying them, and not taking an enormous hit. In fact, if you look at this, um, you know, how you want to look at it, but, you know, all the people on the stage, the candidates, have in the past done things that, and even doing them now. Right. Some people might think, are unsavory or a little bit, you know, not so nice. And it doesn't affect anything with men.
2: No. Well, I mean, and, and it it almost seems to embolden them. You know, it almost makes them more more strong, or maybe it gives them a false sense of competency. We see them, yeah. just because they're bold, we see that as
4: maybe. strong. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's more macho. I don't know how people perceive it, but if it's a male, you know, he's macho, he's strong, he's uh, take charge, and all those kinds of things that work for their, in their favor. So it's, it's a part of the thing where it's also very hard to change it. How do you correct it? Because you know, it's so much a part of how we operate in the world. It's so yeah. hard to try to be likable, whatever that means, you know. I, I think that it's really, really tough to counter these entrenched notions.
2: Well, and is it tough, too, because we live in the United States where this is these entrenched notions. Uh, another part of that is our elections are so personality oriented, mm-hmm. right? And
5: yeah, that's right.
4: They drag on and on, so everything that people said twenty five years ago when they were you know whatever and the Jamie comes comes back, and you had time to go over all these gaps and dissect them in other countries you know you have a two week uh, period of right. campaigning or six. i think I think I'm, I'm right about this, but very recently Canada national an election and it it was uh it to be outrageously long it was like six weeks or four <laughs> weeks you know to set a record for lengthy campaigning uh. here it's a year and a. half something and it just nonstop.
2: yeah i'd give anything for that wouldn't you <laughs> to just be done well and yeah. two and i mean i guess too be you're they're all also like in a parliamentary election they're um they're being their parties are so behind them that it's really the party that can get them elected not just the one person and and it seems like because i sit here and i think okay so if hillary uh isn't elected as president who's the next female yeah. <laughs> and I can't even I can't even think of one. I mean, I could think of a bunch that would try, but none that would have the depth that she has.
4: Really, you know, it's know, timing when our country is embroiled in so many issues internationally, the world is such a, such a mess. It's so, you know, everywhere you look, there's problems here, and there's problems there. To have someone who's been involved in one way or another with all these leaders, who they, she can walk into a room and have so much gravitas. Mm. Uh, you know, and and uh, carry the prestige of our country forward, and you compare that with some other people who you know just would not have anything like that impact. I find this startling, but you know, she still has another issue that, where we go back to the beginning of our talk, when she's she seen as competent in this country, I think that's probably true. That's not true uh, in other countries. That that's, that has a negative internet, uh, uh overtone to it. It's really quite remarkable. You're thinking about Angela Merkel, you know. Yeah. No one would say that she's not competent. And no one says she's not strong. But you know, that's that's the, the issues they have play out here, taking apart every little word and and putting her down, just because. I don't think it happens there. Hmm. I don't think so. I tell you, Angela. I heard on the, uh, the radio one morning. Uh, so this is a, a German uh, newsman, I guess he was. Maybe you no. Know, maybe he's a German citizen. His daughter, eight years old, and they were they were um, getting onto a public transportation, and they had an announcement about Angela Merkel, and she, it was going in the background. The little girl turned to her father and said, "Daddy, can a man be chancellor?"
2: Hmm.
4: <laughs> in her life, only women have been chancellor. That's the,
2: all that she had seen. Isn't I that interesting? That it, so it is. So it really is cultural.
4: Absolutely. You know, here we have never had a woman in a position like that. So we just always have the stereotypes and all this other stuff that fills the vi- the void.
2: You know, you're, one of the things that you uh, talked about, I think, in the as director of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, was uh, the study that they did on 2010 gubernatorial contests. Do you remember that when women opposed each other, the more likable candidate won in nine out of ten contests. Yeah. But when yeah. two men ran against each other, favorability didn't predict the outcome. It didn't matter if they were likable.
4: Right. Well, that's, that's the issue here. You know, the, the, the rules for um, advancing women are very different than those for advancing men. And these are unconscious rules, Of course, no one understands No, right. But they're unconscious. In fact, I think one of the... Ways to to capture some of this is to articulate it for people to say, wait a minute, because I, I hear, I mean, you hear too. People say all the time that you know, it's not likable. To well, say, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. You what know, what what are the data? What does that mean? And just have people stop and reflect rather than just repeat, you know, what's said over and over again. And then they have very little to say. You know, um, she has a warm smile. Well, what you, mm-hmm. we ha- what what's what are the data here? And people just they'll say, oh, you know.
2: You know, yeah, and then they, then maybe they sometimes just go to, well, she sounds shrill, and we'll right. we'll we'll get into the communication of all of this in the next break. But um, I mean, but what we do is we just kind of go to, a kind of, I guess, what is our gut feeling? But our gut feeling is probably a deep bias.
4: Oh, I'm sure. Well, it's certainly not because we have experience with female heads, heads of our country. Mm-hmm. We have a long record to point to and say, oh, yeah, well, she was our president for five years, and she was terrible. We don't have anything like that. No, Only we don't. Illusion uh, and inference and so forth. Which is I, very strong. It's not trivial.
2: I was just thinking of who who is the strongest female that I've found likable. Uh, person in our in our political system in the last few years, and it was Justice Sotomayor. It's like one yeah. of the only—and but and super likable, I think, yeah. and yet—and well, super strong, and, and yet we won't hear from her because she's a justice, really.
4: Well, I'll tell you an anecdote from my life. I, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I was uh, in training in Boston, and I was moving out to uh, Cincinnati, Ohio for a, a little while, and I was transferring— to uh, the VA the hospital there, and the head of the department, who I report to, was a woman, and my colleagues in Boston, most of them were men, were always, all and they were very friendly to me, very very supportive, and they warned me. I mean, to a person, oh, watch out for her. She's tough. She's, she's da huh. They're really 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 awful. And so of course I'm, you know, so sort of quaking in my boots yeah. going to meet this, <laughs> and she was the nicest person. She was the <laughs> absolutely the nicest person, and so supportive. So that's the issue. She was very competent, very strong, and they immediately inferred—they didn't know her—that she was an unlikable, a really nasty, you know, piece of work. And She's <laughs> a I tough was cookie. Stunned, I was stunned at the contrast because she was perfectly fine. But yeah, uh, you know, so they were trying to be helpful to me by warning me uh, about
2: all this. And this so. is this is—it's interesting. So you see it—you saw it in the educational world. We see it in the political world. Also, um, Sheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook, in her book *Lean In*. She brought it up as well, and we won't use the word she used, but when women are seen as, you know, too strong, too aggressive, too, uh, I guess, too shrill or tough, we, we call them a name that that is seemingly unique to the female, and I mean, it's sad that they even have their own negative name. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is just derogatory, and yeah. I mean, and even political candidates have used it, so it's... Uh,
4: oh, Absolutely.
2: Yeah. But I, I and I, I want to bring it up because I mean, it's it's one thing to just say she's a female. We need to vote for her because she's a female, which as yeah. being a child of a single mother and three sisters. I get that <laughs> to, to the degree that I can get it, except if there's really also a bias, which it totally feels like and seems like there is. Um, it needs to be talked about. So at least we can put it out there and have people thinking about do they do this? Do they judge people this way?
4: And you won't get to, unless you step back and, and think about it, because it's so routinized. We just say these things. Yeah. And it's in the media, and it's everywhere. So that's why I think, uh, I'm glad you're doing this program. We need people to say, to, to think about it a little bit. Say, wait a minute, am I doing that? Yeah. Ooh, I don't want to be doing that. Yeah. You know, that's not fair. Let me just take a harder look. And then reflect on what they're doing and, and um what they come up with i mean if her, if
2: her likability really you can tie it to other issues, then at least tie it to the issues, but make right. sure you 've explored the issues don 't yeah, just totally. don 't just use code
5: right,
2: <laughs> just right. code exactly talk right. well let 's do this uh, we 're speaking with Dr. Rosa Lynn Barnett, and uh, she is uh, helping us understand a little bit uh, actually a lot more about. This uh, hidden bias that we may have about women when they get, when they are strong, when they come off competent, many times they, they seem to automatically take, um, the, the, the role in our minds as unlikable. And, uh, she's walking us through how we might be able to, um, see through some of this, understand it, and maybe even prevent some of it in our own lives. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Stick with us, folks. We're talking about likability and gender. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Rosalind Barnett. She is a senior scientist at uh, the Women's Studies Research Center at Brandeis University. She's also directed major projects for the Sloan Foundation, the National Science Foundation, and the National Institute for Mental Health, among others. She's co-authored the seven books about women, men, work, and society, including Life Prints, which was funded by the grant for the National Science Foundation, um, she is, uh, I think, a wonderful resource for us to understand the, uh, this dynamic going on. Um, we see it with Hillary Clinton. She, uh, I guess, sadly, is, is, is you know, probably suffering the consequence of some of this about likability. And uh, the research we've been talking about on the show is uh, simply that the more, um, the more competent a female appears to be, the less likable her, she is to others. Um, which is kind of, it's a weird situation. So you, you almost have to choose whether you want to come off strong or likable instead of being able to do both, which um, is seemingly uh, more, which people tend to give more of the benefit of the male uh, to do that. So Dr. Rosalind Barnett, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thank you again for being with us. Um, you, you wrote uh, w- the two articles that we're referring to in Psychology Today, you and your writing partner, uh, Carol Rivers. Uh, the, the other one that I, I really wanted to talk about, too, was was because this made the news. I mean, I guess all of a sudden when you have somebody like veteran Washington journalist Bob Woodber- Woodward complaining about Hillary's shouting too much, uh, the, the, we also have a bias about speaking styles huh? between men and women. Right. And, and how does that look? What, what does the research say about when we're listening to a female versus a male speaking?
4: Well, a couple of things. For one thing, uh, uh, when men take, when you speak a lot, you take up time. you know? Yeah. And when men take up a lot of time in a debate or whatever, they're seen as competent and powerful and just perfectly confident with their power. Well, for women, women who talk a lot are seen as Gabby, off topic, uh, on and on, in fact, less competent. So, you know, when politicians, not part, a big part of what they do is talk. Right. They talk a lot, you know, and that's the name of the game. And you know, Bill Clinton was famous for running over the time allocated. And so are some of the can- the male candidates this yeah. year, actually. The, you know, the buzzer goes off in these debates, and they ignore it entirely. They just keep going and going until the moderator, you know, you can't just hear saying stop, stop, stop. Um, and that doesn't affect – in fact, sometimes it increases the likability or their, their powerful ratings.
2: Not for women. See, that, that, that's, that's what everybody opinion. keeps saying is that Hillary's no bill. And I guess right. we, we always, I guess I always thought that that, well, yeah, I mean, Bill was president and he just has charisma or whatever, but really what they're also saying is Hillary's not a man. Right. I mean, and if, 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 if it's just... away
4: with this stuff and women can't. Yeah. You know, women are supposed to be seen that not heard. They're supposed to, you know, conform to the stereotype, uh, to wait to be asked, to take care of others, to defer. They're not supposed to, you know, uh, usurp, you know, and sort of... Take over, take charge. Yeah.
2: Have you ever. And, you know, oh, go ahead.
4: The, you know, this whole notion of a are Gabby, over talkative, that plays in here too. So when men to, when people, not just Bill Clinton, but I mean a lot of the candidates that are uh, in the debates now, when they talk a, a lot. No one considers that to be a negative. Right. You know, it affects negative on their competence. But for women, that's how it
2: works. In fact, in your article, you you say that when um, you you quote a a Fox commentator, Mark Rudolph said, when Barack Obama speaks, men here take off for the future kind of idea. And when Hillary Clinton speaks, men here take out the garbage. um, Yeah, no joke. It's it's (laughs) nagging.
4: It's very much nagging.
2: But see, that's a term that we would never use about a man. Oh man, he sounds like a nag. Right.
4: (laughs) And the other thing about it is, when people uh, hear these these speeches differences, they consider women who would talk a lot to be unsuitable for leadership
5: hmm. that's right
4: empirically that's what so you know who wants someone who's who's a gabby, you know unfocused emotional person that's that's the burden that women have. <laughs> well, it is, except
2: that you just described the leader of the g o p race yeah, well. A blowhard. I mean, that, that's the see. That, yeah. So they call the man a blowhard, and, and they call the woman a witch, or a, a witch. she cackles. You
4: know, he, right. She's been very much criticized for her what they call her cackle. Yeah. Uh, she laughs. She sounds like. She, and who cackles but a witch? So you know, all the, the images surround various speech styles for women are very negative compared to those that surround men's speaking styles. So, men's speech is powerful and. Forceful. We're going to see this gabby and and shrill and unsuitable for – and less confident and unsuitable for leadership. It,
2: it, and, and again, because I can just – I can imagine people listening or thinking, oh, oh, come on, don't make this a male-female thing. It's Hillary Clinton. She's a blank, blank, blank. But again, highly credible candidate, highly – you know, a, a, sec, a, a secretary of state. She has the experience, two-time senator, and yet um, – what I worry about is there's some reason we're not getting more and more and more females stepping up. I guess we are, but, but relatively speaking, our numbers aren't great. And maybe part of it is that there's this inherent bias.
4: That's part of it. And then people, you can know, take a look around uh, the kind of uh, exposure you get, not very flattering. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to do that. Uh, uh, so I think that's an issue. By the way, it's, the, the responding to what you said a little while ago, it's, I mean, people say, Oh, it's just Hillary. Actually there's a ton of empirical research with, you know, just male and female subjects. Hmm. That that these generalizations we talked about
2: They're everywhere. They're yeah.
4: They're just not about Hillary Clinton. Now, she's it's just Hillary really is an example of what's a general phenomenon and that's been noted and, and confirmed over and over again. Men mm-hmm. and women are judged very, very differently on their speech styles. And those the distinctions they they people make about them have important implications for their how they're viewed as uh, viewed in terms of leadership ability.
2: Well, I um, saw it with Carly Fiorina too. I thought when I would listen to her, I thought she was brilliant in how she'd handle ideas and thoughts and how she'd debate and take people on. I thought it was brilliant and one of the yeah. best debaters I think the GOP had, and yet gone and destroyed. <laughs> I mean, some of that might be you know political positioning may have hurt her as well, but it's. I, I think. I think you're bringing up just an essential point for all of us that if we want equality, and then I don't know if you've read the studies out of um, out of BYU and University of Texas about the power women have in changing culture. Um, so when when women have the opportunity to be educated, when they have the opportunity to lead, to share their voice, to take care of their own health, um, the entire culture, the entire country is elevated by. Well, Oh, yes, the health absolutely. of women. Yes. And and, and I love dangerous. that. And it seems like mm-hmm. that's where we need to hear more of the voice of, of women mm-hmm. and not judge mm-hmm. it immediately.
4: Yeah, well, we have a long way to go on that front. Yeah. I mean we're obviously making progress. It's not it's not a bad news story. You know, we're right. obviously making progress. But uh, the I think this work suggests how far we have yet to go.
2: Well, yeah, and it seems like if this actually did come down to a maybe a Donald who who has the ability to just say whatever he apparently wants to without too much recourse. Um, and a Hillary Clinton, I, this could actually go crazy, I think, because the things that will be said, I I can't even fathom.
4: Well, we may have to, we may find out in the next little, very little while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you suggest, uh, Dr. Barnett, that we do in the future going forward? What do I do with one daughter and five boys to teach them how to maybe tune into the female voice better? Uh,
4: well, that's a, good, that's a very good question. One uh, is for you to be... Let's see, two points. One of it has to do with you. So, uh, as soon as you're, you're, you're the person we're talking about here, that when you hear any comments, you just stop the conversation. Say, hey, hang on, hang on a second. What is it you just said? And uh, wh- Why are you saying that? Or where does that come from? Or where have you read that? Just to... Take it, Just to take it very seriously and think about it. Yeah. Uh, just not let it go by because too much stuff goes by. So that's what you can do for your children. Um, and then you can look at your own behavior, look, like it or not, and we're all sexist.
2: Yeah. No, you I know, agree. I,
4: without even knowing work, it, right?
2: We, we have a without, bias. You
4: know, this is my you know, it's my life work, and yet I, I catch myself.
2: Hmm.
4: And we have to stop and say, wait, what did I just say? Do I really, you know, What am I doing? Yeah, you know, we're, we're all part of our, this culture, as I said before. And some of it is in the air. We just and we hear on the news. hear all the commentators' comments. <laughs> Excuse me. It's hard to not absorb that somewhat. But we don't want to be doing that. Right. Because, oh, my gosh. What am I doing? I, I, I kiss myself. I I think it's really really
2: important. Well, and you're and you're an expert in the subject, and yet, Mm -hmm. but but I think that's so honest. I think I think sometimes too, even when we hear that it's a feminist argument, most people don't even know what that means. Do you know what I mean? There's like an inherent bias about that. If you're a white male. That right. that That's just wrong, except I think the data the is pretty clear. If all of a sudden we judge a woman that speaks the same amount of time as a man, um, if we judge her as being more just, you know, yappity gabby instead of just a profound thinking and communicative right, senator yeah. or whatever, that's a problem. Yeah, it
4: is a problem. It's a problem for the woman, of course. It's a problem for our culture. Sure. Because we make the road, we would have a harder road to hoe anyway. because where it's starting from, but it makes it even that much harder because to overcome all this, this built-in, you know, uh, negativity.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. You you need to keep writing, uh, and, and well, on. I mean, I know you're writing your books, yeah. but on yeah. Psychology Today is how we found you. It's almost in pop culture we found you and. We we need mm-hmm. to hear more of this. So thank you well, so much.
5: We, are, we,
4: we now have a blog, Carol and I, and we intend to continue uh, putting stuff up there and great. helping have a good readership like, like you.
2: Yeah. we You know what? We'll keep watching for you and we'll have you back on as soon as your next blog comes up. Thank you so much, okay, Dr. Ro- Rosalind Barnett. Appreciate you.
4: Uh, great. Bye-bye now.
2: Bye-bye. Great uh, insight, folks. Again, it don't... It's too easy to just try to eliminate ideas from our mind. Let the idea in a little longer than we might normally let these things in. Um, if we're losing 50 percent of the voice in our, in our world of females simply because we discount it, we're going to pay for that. We're going to pay for that. And uh, who's going to pay will be, you know, your community, your, your citizenry, your children – our future. We are missing important information. Whatever your political persuasion, uh, we're probably not hearing enough from the, the women in our lives and in our cities and communities. We'll take a break, folks. Um, stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, um, th- there's always an inherent bias. There's a cultural bias. And I think all Dr. Barnett was bringing up is there appears to be, based on the research from a variety of highly accredited universities like Yale um, there, and and NYU and others, there's, there is a bias. And some of it just simply might be, you know, cultural. Maybe it goes back to... Uh, kind of the Judeo-Christian you know, ethic and influence of different roles for men, different roles for women. But in the end, it doesn't hurt us to just question our own thinking, right, to self-reflect and notice if that bias is, is taking over us. There's something super powerful, I would say, to be, for example, um, a, a conservative that can still appreciate... Hillary Clinton, her strengths, um, her abilities, her skill set, and appreciate that she's a female and appreciate that that's a powerful uh, opportunity. And you still don't have to vote for her. And you don't have to hate her. What we tend to do is we polarize every issue in our world, in our culture. And it's easy to do that, I guess, by gender, by race. I mean, every single issue we have out there can be polarized by your bias. And simultaneously, we can see that not every issue is black, white. Not every issue is male, female. Not every issue is educated, uneducated. Not every issue is rich, poor. There's there's kind of a, a, a mix, a, a cornucopia, if you would. So... As a human being, we have the power to open up our minds, and to open up our minds for many, that's scary because we're afraid we might be influenced. We seem to get our confidence from our position, not our skill set, right? We get our we get our confidence from the fact that I'm pro-choice or pro-life. We get our confidence from the fact that I'm Christian or Muslim. We get our confidence from... All of these different things, which should not probably be the source of our confidence. Your confidence should be probably built around principles. You know, uh, caring for others, serving others, understanding others, your ability to understand somebody. And you can understand somebody and not agree with them. Some of us believe that if I understand what you're saying, you might get the idea that I agree with you, so I don't even want to go there. I'm just going to blow your idea up immediately. But what is crazy is we have um we have republicans that are liking Bernie Sanders, a socialist, democratic socialist, and we have democrats that are liking Donald Trump. People are crossing everywhere because probably more because of the spirit and the principles that these people are suggesting, not necessarily the, the actual position itself. But Donald's on to something when he says, you know what? Government's out of control. Needs to be reined in. Uh, Bernie Sanders is onto something when he says, you know what? It's not fair that whatever percent, one percent of the population owns more money than 50 percent. It's not fair that people can't go to school because they can't afford it. Now, whether you like the policy or not, think about the idea. Do you do you agree that it should there should be some balance, not even in just income, but in opportunity? You can understand Bernie Sanders and not vote for him. You can understand the pain and the angst about uh, the followers that are loving Donald Trump, you can understand and not go with Trump. And until we all start understanding some of this, how do we ever believe we're going to fix it? Ah, <sighs> Complicated, isn't it? And yet that is that's the goal. That's the that's the reality. I think that's really the test. I even think that's why you're on this earth. So you can deal with all of these difficult ideas and see if you can still use your good spirit and your goodness to come out and and come out healthy instead of just jumping on the bandwagon. Anyway, that's the first hour of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We can't do it without you. Go check us out on our BYU radio app. Just look up BYU radio or go on iTunes or tune in. You can download that podcast, forward it to all your friends. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you real-life solutions for your real-life problems. Yes. Every time I say that, Terry cringes.
3: Well, it's really... No, it is. It's a big ask. It's not. You're, you're putting us out there. You're committing us to, to fulfill a mission that I don't know if we fully could. Well, let me give you an example. Okay, go ahead.
2: Did you notice that when... Uh, well, you're probably the anomaly. But when many people graduate from college, let's say, they quit learning. Like they quit actively trying to learn. Yes. So today, that's a real life problem. And today, we're going to have on Dr. Allison Head, who's going to talk to us about how people can continue learning well beyond college or high school. Real-life problem,
3: real-life solution. Thank you very much.
2: So good to be with you.
3: Now, the interesting thing, last night, I'm just bumping around the web as I do. (laughs) Yes. And I found this – I think they call it surfing. Well, yeah, I like bumping around the web. Web Uh, bumping. The Indianapolis Star had a story, mm-hmm. and I included it in your papers over there. Yes uh, about how business uh, people who hire for job for companies, hiring uh, coordinators, whatever they're saying the uh, candidates need to focus on the three R's: reading, writing, and arithmetic. And which arithmetic. doesn't make any- sense.: <laughs> Arithmetic. <laughs> so they need to focus on that more because they see college graduates coming in and they can't do basic things. They can't even do the basics. And so she, the, the, the guest we have on has this uh, study and then we have business leaders coming back and confirming that kind of in the wild, you could say, where they're saying that we're seeing people that can't fulfill the basic requirements that we need. It's, but however,
2: they have done many a report on something that they didn't think they'd ever need.
3: Right. So maybe they didn't focus on it or maybe are the, the colleges teaching the correct things. I think it's that called general,
2: general ed. Is that what it is? And you have to learn generally, but what you might not be learning is, are certain skills like writing hmm. or actually basically being know. able to dissect an idea.
3: And You're more, you're more just regurgitating content rather than yeah. thinking.
2: Yeah, hmm. you need like critical thinking skills.
3: And that's what – when I went to college, they said that constantly. That's what they're trying to get us to do is think critically, and then they'd have us write essays about what we were thinking critically about. Oh, really? That was the idea. I don't know if it succeeded. I I, was able to write. I didn't become a real critical thinker until probably
2: my Ph.D. program, even though I I took classes where they said they were trying to teach me critical thinking. Mm -hmm. But they didn't – rarely did they ever have me go critique a theory until in grad school you have to critique a theory.
3: Now, do you you want to hear the opposite of critical thinking? Yes. Presented with a problem. Okay. Hopefully – As a a college graduate, you could come to some sort of solution through critical thinking that Mm. would solve the problem. Yes. Boom. Uh, Donald Trump was having a campaign rally in Nevada. Yes. And the lights went out. Ooh. What would he do? Clip one.
4: Because to put him in our jails, they didn't pay the electric bill. To put him... Oh, I like that much better. The lights are out. Oh, that's so much better. The whole stadium's those dark. Those lights were brutal. Are they come from the dishonest press? <laughs> <laughs> don't turn wow. the lights on. Plus, we save on electricity, right?
3: Here's the solution.
4: And because the lights didn't work, I won't pay the rent. So we get better lighting and we don't pay the rent, right? Right? No, get those lights Now the lights off. are back on. Oh, They're too bright. Turn them off. Turn them off. Let's go. Ready? Turn off the lights.
3: Turn off the lights. So the solution is start a riot. Your future president (laughs) of the United States. That's interesting
2: because I wonder how long Donald would like to
3: have interviews without it being really well lit. Apparently, it was really bright, and they had the heat lamps and that kind of thing. And so. I wonder what the Secret Service did when the lights went off.
2: I'm going to bet they weren't liking that.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> that is crazy. It's interesting, but it kind of shows you that the dawn can just work the crowd. And it, again, yeah. it doesn't matter what he says. They just, yum, 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 yum.
3: Well, I, I saw some video on uh, The Daily Show. Oh. they they sent one of their uh, correspondents it is awesome. they they uh they went to uh, one of his rallies and they watched as people were all excited at the beginning, and then Trump just sort of keeps talking, and then people are sort of milling around, and no one's really paying attention. And then at the end, he gets them all riled up again, and that's how the rally goes. Oh, So in the middle, when he's talking about you know policy-type things, people are like, ah, could you just say something crazy, please? And then he says something yeah. crazy, and everyone's going nuts. Show us a Kardashian! So he says about halfway through, people are just bored. Everyone, he, The camera looked around, and people are looking at their phones, and... Just standing around talking to each other. He's up there, oh, that's just going because off that's on a immigration that
2: you don't ever hear about.
3: That yeah, they only see the clips of him doing stuff like that.
2: But he, and he, <laughs> or last
3: night saying that he, there was a protester and he'd wish he could punch him in the face or oh, he yeah. should be beat up or something yeah. like that.
2: Um, you know what? They ought to be careful there because did you hear about what happened in? Um, oh, it's it's in the headlines right now on on CNN. Apparently, a toddler has been sentenced to life in Egypt. Whoa. An apparent case of mistaken identity. A three-year-old Egyptian boy has been sentenced to life in prison for a crime he allegedly committed when he was 16 months old. Huh? In what appears to be a bizarre case of mistaken identity, a military court last week found Ahmed, Mansour, Kurani Sharara, and 115 others guilty of killing three people and sabotaging public and private property. The crimes allegedly took place in 2014, January of 2014. Uh, Protest by supporters of ousted President Mohamed Morsi Morsai, and ensuing clashes uh, between some other groups. Anyway, this kid has now been basically accused as part of that group of 115 and has now been sentenced to life.
3: Hmm. Like they've sent, they've already had the court. Yeah. They've looked at the little child mm-hmm. and. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, he was 16 months old when the demonstration
2: took place. He was just a little over three years old when the military court sentenced him to life last week. Wow. Like, what are they thinking? Apparently they're not. Critical thinking would say probably wasn't a big influence there. Was he there, though?
3: I Maybe. have. I mean, you, you think, are they just being stubborn so they won't back down because even though they made a mistake? Are they just holding their ground because they don't want to look bad? But, I mean, it's a little kid. It's a kid. And you, you uh, there's like a thousand people involved. Is that what they said? Yeah. Or, so I mean, what's one person? Oh, but this guy, who knows, mastermind. Wow.
2: Interesting. He did still have those little chubby rings around his hands. Okay. His wrists and his <laughs> elbows. Never trust somebody with those chubby little rings around their hands and their elbows. Mm-mm. <laughs> Maybe packing something. Hey, uh, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention
3: to? Thanks, Matt. There are five Republicans still in the presidential race, but on Monday, today, several prominent Republicans portrayed it as two, a two-man contest between Donald Trump and Senator Marco Rubio. With establishment stalwart Jeb Bush out of the race, Rubio notched several high-profile endorsements heading into Tuesday's GOP caucus in Nevada. And both Rubio and Trump took advantage of Senator Ted Cruz firing his campaign spokesman to reiterate their charge that Cruz relies on dirty tricks. Trump is expected to win the Nevada contest, and polls have him way ahead of the majority of Super Tuesday primary states. Make no mistake, this is a two-man race. Senator Dean Heller of Nevada told a Rubio rally in Reno on Monday, this is between Donald and Marco Rubio. What do you think? Is that true? Do you think Ted Cruz is out of this? No. Ted's not out
2: of it till Ted's out of it. He likes me to call him Ted.
3: I like how they're just ignoring him. Yeah, Because you know that's going to make him mad and he'll oh, start yeah. saying more things. He's a liar! So, speaking to a crowd at George Mason University on Monday, Republican presidential hopeful John Kasich recredited his early supporters in a less than flattering way. He described getting elected to the Ohio State Senate in 1978 thusly, how did I get elected? Nobody was. I didn't have anybody for me. We just got an army of people who um, and, and many women who left their kitchens to
6: go out and go door to door and to put uh. put yard signs up for me. All First off, I want to say your comment earlier about the women came out of the kitchen to support you. I'll come to support you, but I won't
3: be coming out of the kitchen. I got you. <laughs> Take that. A female supporter. Uh. My wife had the exact same response. She went, "Sir, oh, come on. Get <laughs> so, out of the kitchen?
2: Yeah, but what he probably meant is in the seventies, the homemakers. And many
3: of the people sitting in the front row would active, have agreed. and
2: he was a big part in getting women active into politics.
3: John Kasich offered an apology Monday for his earlier comment. Sometimes when you operate on a high wire without a net, sometimes you fall off. Fall and off, break your neck. You say things not exactly the way you wanted to. Sorry. That's
2: right. Oops. <laughs> The Pentagon,
3: the Pentagon has submitted a detailed plan for closing the U.S. military prison at Guantanamo Bay to Congress today. Ninety-one prisoners still remain at Gitmo, and the Pentagon has listed 13 U.S. detention facilities that could house the prisoners. President Barack Obama has vowed to close the prison since 2009 and renewed his pledge to do so before he leaves office in January. Uh, Republicans and some Democrats remain opposed to the proposed move to uh, move of Guantanamo prisoners to U.S. soil. Congress has banned any transfers of inmates to maximum security prisons in the U.S. since 2011. Hmm. I remember they tried to move into a Supermax yeah. in Colorado, and a bunch of people were like not in my oh, backyard. No, you don't. But then they're like, "Do you know the psychos we have in that prison?"
2: <laughs> I mean, what's the what's the You're difference? You're safer with these guys
3: here. Jeb Bush sank one hundred thirty million dollars into his failed presidential campaign, which came to an end Saturday night after a dismal fourth place finish in South Carolina. Uh, as he, so, he threw in the towel, as we all know. The New York Times broke down his Bush's epic spending. He spent more than all other GOP candidates combined and declared it one of the least successful campaign spending binges in history. But where exactly did all the money go? Bush's big, biggest chunk of change, $84 million, went towards positive advertising in an attempt to reintroduce himself to the Republican electorate, the Times reports. Remember when about halfway through his time, he's like, wait a second. We have to reintroduce myself. People right. don't know who I am. You don't even remember me. He also spent a whopping $10 million on consultants, $8.3 on campaign staff, while those are only the categories that cross into the millions. His other spending suggests a little things that really do add up. Bush reportedly spent 94000 on, quote, clubbing, going to events and dinners in prestigious clubs such as the Yale Club, the Union League Club of Chicago, and Nantucket's Westmore Club. Clubbing? And 15800 on valet parking at his events.
2: Now, I bet you clubbing doesn't mean clubbing like that.
3: No, but I mean they listed... It's, no, it's sending brutes out to beat people up. Clubbing. This, old school this, politics. This is my best because it's part of every political campaign. What? $4,837 on pizza. That's
2: what I was thinking. <laughs> That's some good pizza. But That's a pretty time,
3: low number for pizza, though. Well, he's only in a short time. It was only 12 pies. I know. I know McCain had, when he uh, lost to Obama... There was a large pizza bill that his campaign needed to pay off that was someone went to like collections to get it or that's something That's probably why he ended so early could so have he been pay off the pizza pizza debt it's crazy
2: pizza debt oh that's been killing people for years pizza debt Hey we will be taking a break when we come back we're going to be talking with Dr. Allison J Head about uh, some of the research she's been doing um, at uh, at her university uh, talking about college students are they as prepared as they need to be Apparently, they're asking a lot, uh, a fewer questions. They're not necessarily so jazzed and inclined to just keep learning. They just learned at school, and they're done. We'll be talking about our research, find out what we can do to make sure we keep our heads engaged, especially in this ever-changing world. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show, hoping to help you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, after about 20 or so years of schooling, many adults strike out into the business world, but does their learning really ever stop? There are new positions, promotions, trainings to accomplish in the workplace that require continual learning, but how proficient are we at asking the right questions? And, uh, and, and continuing our learning after we've exited the world of academia. Dr. Allison J. Head directs Project Information Literacy, or PIL, P-I-L. PIL recently looked at how today's graduates continue to learn once they've completed college. She joins us now live from California to talk about uh, the research and what they found in the research. Dr. Allison J. Head, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
6: Thank you for having me. I'm- it's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here.
2: This is, I think, a fascinating uh, work that you're doing on Project um, – uh, what's it called? Project uh, – Information
6: info- Literacy.
2: Information Literacy. Pill. It's a pill. It's, is it a hard pill to PIL, swallow?
6: But, but, you know, at Harvard, they do call it pill. So I bet. Maybe I'm a pill to Harvard <laughs> College.
2: Well, Allison, we appreciate it. exactly because I think your findings are interesting. Let's let's talk about this. What when when you put together uh, the project, what were you looking for? What are you trying to do? And, and what information have you found by by studying the these graduates?
6: Well, this is uh, the eighth study that we've produced. We've wow. been studying college uh, students since two thousand nine and have released a whole range of studies about how college students find and use information in the digital age for course research and also in their everyday life while they're in college. Mm. But, Matt, the million-dollar question is, what happens once they graduate? Right. What skills stick? Uh, What skills do they take with them and adapt and adopt in their everyday lives? as well as the workplace and, a kind of a unique question, not online communities, but the local communities where they live. Huh. And that's what we wanted to look at. There really are very few research projects that have studied students after they finish college. And so with information sciences, scientists at the University of Washington's information school, we really wanted to more deeply understand what their information needs were, as well as the sources that they used.
2: Because this really, the information age is a relatively new thing. Um, and and these these graduates are, they're facing, I guess, information and and changing information, altering information at a pace that few of us had, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago
6: exactly right. And what's unique here and what we found in the study is what we call the shelf life of the skills that they leave college with. And it doesn't matter whether they're in sciences or doing something in statistics or doing social science research or even in areas like education and working with children. There's so much change occurring at this point that it's really hard for recent grads to keep up with the learning that they need to do to be current in the workplace as well as be successful and hold on to their jobs. A lot of fear about becoming outdated. Yeah,
2: which is so strange because they have more resources than ever, online resources, Google, TED Talks, YouTube. They They have resources to continue learning. Is it just they don't have the time?
6: You know, that turned out to be the, you're exactly right, that turned out to be the biggest challenge that they had when we asked that question. We surveyed 1,651 grads from the years 2007 to 2012 from 10 universities and colleges across the U.S. And the number one reason, as you have suggested, is they don't have time, but it's also, um, they really can't find affordable sources. They're lacking the kind of guidance and expertise that was so easy to get in college through whether that was through an incredible campus library and access to databases from providers like JSTOR and ProQuest or even to be able to sit through a class with a professor that has outlined a whole field like something like astronomy. Hmm. How do you even begin to do that when you're out on your own?
2: Right, especially at a higher level.
6: Well, and, and also, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, when we did our first study, librarians reacted to it and said, how could research be so difficult now? And it's really the abundance of information. Mm. When we, when I went to college, there was really a scarcity of information. You, you became an expert. You looked for every bit of information that you could get. You scanned the library shelves and you became an expert, especially to get a a PhD, Right, uh, or or even a master's, or even a senior thesis. But now that's an impossibility, to stay on top of information and to really know a field inside and out. So that's a particular problem, as well as the change in in different computer programs, something we really don't think about, but occurred on this project as well. I've always used SPSS as a stat package, Um, oh, I hated that thing, about, not to be mean. You know, everybody hates but it. But I hated Only that. owns it now? Now yeah. everybody really hates it. <laughs> but you know, that was the standard. And on this project, uh we found that the statistician I worked with used R. Yeah. And sure enough, in our interviews there was a, a couple of statisticians that worked on different research projects for marketing, but also one in education that said, I don't know R you know, I learned mm. SAS. I learned SPSS. Um, I'm, I'm behind the curve, wow. and I've only been out of college three years. So the shelf life for skills, according to an article in Atlantic, is about five years.
2: So the shelf life is five years. That's...
6: Yeah, five years for the skills that you're learning is what a recent article on lifelong learning by John Seeley Brown and others quoted as finding. So, really, I mean, that's really shocking, no matter what field you're in. So, that's one particular problem. It's not, you know, it's auditors keeping up with financial programs and approaches. It's uh, people that go into education, that are educators and work with children. There's so much being discovered about different curriculum, as well as the way the brain works Mm. and teaching methodologies, as well as keeping up with core standards. And the controversy over that, Uh, you know, so across a number of different fields, we found that grads uh, were behind the curve very quickly and held responsible in their own time for staying current. Is it? And And that really blindsides grads.
2: Oh, sure. Well, I mean, think of that. Think of the money, the time, the energy you spent and then. You ride that wave, go get your first job. You're just trying to stay, you know, alert in your 65, 70 hours a week job um, just to get ahead. And five years later, you've been passed.
6: Well, and you're spending your evenings or your time off. And a number of these people had uh, families or were starting families, you know, um, trying to sit through code academy or code school or a MOOC. Which we found really was too much of a commitment and something that was the kind of learning, kind of a non-formal learning, that was not very similar to the classroom, Hmm. where they missed their peers and missed that responsibility of having to go to a classroom, say, on a college campus or such. And
2: the community almost of that. Was it the community and the interaction?
6: You're exactly right, that you could turn to your peers and... Um, you knew how other people had done on tests and uh, how the learning was happening. And, and if you wanted to review a concept, you could bring that up into cl- in class. And there was discussion about it, which is different. I mean, there are, that is available in online settings, but that doesn't seem to be something that works as well.
2: Explain what Congrats. a MOOC is. Some people may not know what a MOOC is.
6: Well, a MOOC is it's something relatively new. And it's for multiple users, sometimes thousands of users, to sign up for an online course, and it's immersive. Uh, Harvard has MOOCs that they've made public. For instance, they have Terry Fisher from Harvard Law School teaching a course, a beginning course about copyright, which is pretty interesting. It's filmed. Uh, His slides are there, his PowerPoint slides, and he goes through a lot of engaging examples. And by the end, you may get a certificate or you may get a badge. There's also Coursera is probably the most widely used MOOC that's out there. However, what's interesting is we found YouTube Mm -hmm. was much more used in the sample, 79%, uh, for learning in short little spurts and how to Videos which I think we all use then MOOCs MOOCs Coursera, for instance, was only used by fourteen percent of the sample
2: were they, are they are they the same level of depth I mean, I assume a MOOC would be much more uh, it'd be deeper it'd be probably be more like being sequential. at a university
6: it's you know it's a course it's an online course that's sequential um, you know this week, for instance, we found on another topic we found this is i think this is really fascinating. In the past, everyday life research interests have been around hobbies. They always have. Right. We did research a few years ago and found the same. The original research done in Finland found hobbies were huge. We found this as well. However, what's interesting is the hobbies have shifted. There, a great number of the grads had hobbies that were around coding. Oh, really? Python, learning Java, wanting to learn web design, learning that in their personal life, but also that spilled over to the workplace life.
2: Yeah, almost to so stay... you can at...
6: see where the workplace, um, your hobbies blend.
2: Yeah, it used to be your hobby, I guess, could be something like like diametrically opposed to your work, or like or maybe gardening. golfing. And, gardening. Yeah, gardening. You know,
6: to take you out of yourself, mm-hmm. making wine, you know, something so... Different than what you did every day in the workplace. Wow. Maybe you had a buddy at work that did the same hobby. But what we found is there really is a blending between workplace and also personal life, which is pretty interesting stuff when you think about it. About the implications of that. Yeah.
2: Well, maybe your work Um, is now becoming who you are. Your it's your identity. It's your life.
6: Well, when you college is very different. And there is such an emphasis for a variety of reasons, tuition being probably one of the primary ones, and the need to get through in four years and be employable. Mm -hmm. And that emphasis on employability and uh, often at the expense of general education courses that would look at problem solving or inquiry, um, may have some really serious consequences when it comes to lifelong learning and this need for continued learning. I, I think one of the most shocking findings in the study is that 63%, almost two-thirds of the sample, said that they uh, were really dismayed that they had to continue learning once they got out of college. Wow. They were surprised. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's amazing isn't it I it mean... is
6: amazing and you know and they really um, were frustrated by that about that need mm-hmm. you know and, and to, we did a number of follow up interviews we did 63 follow up interviews which really adds a lot of qualitative texture to this but to their credit if you get out and then you find out the skills like the SPSS example mm-hmm. um, just aren't relevant you know right. the real takeaway quote from a focus group we did before this study was the, was the grad that said, nobody gives you the reading list in life. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and it's true. You're, right. You know, life is not outline for you. There are no, you know, there are tests, your income tax and such. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and whether you get your performance evaluation. But um, yeah. the feedback that you get in the workplace is very different than in a classroom. Yeah, you don't
2: get a syllabus, right, when you graduate. Here's now your
6: syllabus for life. Good luck. Yeah, you don't get a syllabus for life. And in fact, that was something that was one of the biggest challenges, was the lack of access to professors as well as to syllabi. Mm. Um, And, you know, as one grad that we interviewed said, you know, it used to be if I wanted to become an expert in something, I just took an elective. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, you know, I wanted to know about Shakespeare. I would take an elective. And then all of a sudden I would be knowledgeable in, you know, 16 weeks, 10 weeks, depending on where they were.
2: Oh, wow. So, so interesting.
6: It, you know, it's really hard to, expertise is a difficult thing to master in the digital age. And you would think it would be easy, but David Weinberger's written a book. Colleague of mine at Harvard, um, too big to know, and it it it, it, truth is It's just too big. It is, and we found a number of the grads kept their textbooks, yeah, so they could go back and really review seminal concepts in their jobs that they needed to be responsible for, whether that was in science, engineering, or business.
2: Oh man, Allison, let's take a break um, and continue this discussion. Interesting. Too big to know, folks. Um, your shelf life of uh, of your learning, graduating from college, about five years. So you learning to learn, and and uh, you know, aggressively embracing uh, kind of a learning paradigm, maybe a learning paradigm of life. Um, It's essential. We'll take a break, come back, and continue this discussion with Dr. Allison J. Head. She is a principal research scientist in the Information School and a faculty associate at Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Ah, so much to learn and so little time to learn it. On the phone with us is Dr. Allison J Head and she is um the director of Project Information Literacy PIL or uh, and recently um uh they've done a study. Um the study she she is the head of um the principal research scientist in the Information School and a faculty associate at harvard university 's Berkman Center for Internet and Society, and in their study, this is the eighth study that they 've done, um, basically evaluating college graduates to see you know how they 're doing as they 're coming out preparing to take on the world. This uh, study is titled Staying Smart, How Today's Graduates Continue to Learn Once They Complete College. And some of the information she's giving us is the shelf life of their knowledge is about five years. Um, they're, they're having a hard time accessing uh, more information that's affordable, and they miss uh, university work and kind of the community of, of learning. Um, they also were quite shocked that learning actually needed to continue at the level it does, uh, Doctor Allison Head. Am I getting it right so far?
6: You're doing a good job.
2: That's a lot of info you've come okay. up with. You
6: want? you want the million-dollar question?
2: Yes, I don't. Okay. You know what's funny, Allison? I don't even know what the million-dollar question is.
6: Oh yes, you do.
2: Okay, we'll hear. Let's see.
6: Every everybody that sends somebody to college, or that goes through college, or teaches. Oh yeah. In a college or university today is. Asking this question, and in fact, the American Association of College and University Universities asked this question in a the survey. They went to employers and said, What do you want most from today's grads? Hmm. And employers said, More than major, the ability to have critical thinking skills.
5: Ah, there you go. To
6: think critically. I don't care about major. This, of course, goes against what Pews found, what the U.S. Census has found. It's always been major, and this emphasis on STEM, science and technology and engineering right. and math, that that was the pathway to a good job. But these findings are interesting and kind of shake things up. So we were intrigued by those findings from AACUP and AACU and thought, well, let's. this is good. But let's ask our sample of grads what they think themselves they took from college as far as critical thinking skills that helped them with learning once they graduated. Yeah,
2: what did you find out?
6: Okay, what we found out, here's the good news. They got an A on the report card for really information-seeking proficiencies, the ability to find information, which is really Great. Yeah. They were particularly strong in evaluating information, the credibility and the relevance, as well as the currency. Yeah. How come? Well, it's probably one of the most critically important skills that's being taught from K through 20 now. Okay. So they get an early dose and they continue to ramp up those evaluation skills as they go from high school, for instance, to college. Give you a quick example, in high school, you might be asked, well, is this a credible author? What can we find out about him? In college, it might be ramped up, the evaluation to, is this a credible author? What, what is his background or her background? Um, what credentials do they bring to the process? And who else argues with them? Hmm. In this discussion of their point of view, yeah, is a
2: two-sided art, yeah, point
6: of view, Mm -hmm. and is one introducing bias. So, so evaluation is something that is developed really well in education in a lot of different educational settings. So, this is an A on the report card, as well as presenting information. There are a number of different tools, of course, to do this. The obvious one is PowerPoint. So the tools themselves have lent themselves to more presentation as well as making short videos, um, which is often fun for students.
2: Right. So well, business, and important to business, right? I mean, so these are well, these are all incredibly good traits or abilities.
6: Business grads always score really high on that particular skill as a takeaway, but so do other majors as well. Increasingly, with every year that we look at that, but the one and then the last critical thinking skill is even. Better news, which is a number of the grads, these are all about three-quarters of the sample, agreed, you know what, I I really know how I like to learn.
2: Okay, they know their style, their method, yeah.
6: Yeah, metacognition, really. Um, And the metacognitive abilities, for instance, when we've been out in the field, I'm always fascinated when a student interviewee will say, well, you have to understand, I'm a visual learner. Right, I don't do well with text, and so they have an idea of what their learning styles are. Those are all great. This things. is
2: where they're getting A's. Where, where are they? are getting A's. Where are okay, they struggling? The,
6: yeah, you ready for the C minus? Yep. Okay, here it is, and it's a little bit scary. The last one is their ability to keep asking questions and. To, to frame questions of their own and continue asking till they get an answer. Mm. So if you really think about the state of education in a number of institutions and in a number of different curricular areas, we found this, for instance, in engineering with our interviewees, that in engineering, as an example, you're so often taught the solution. Yeah. As one of the grads we interviewed said from a big public institution, y- you have to understand uh, the solution there is one, and it's either in the textbook or <laughs> the faculty members define right. it. The truth and is then there. you get out in the real world, and there's no textbook. Nope.
2: That's right.
6: <laughs> there's no back of the textbook with the answer in the explanation. And,
2: and some people assume ability. you have the answer, right? You're the expert. You just got out of Harvard. You should know.
6: Well, exactly. Uh, you know, it's really that ability to ask different questions so that you continue learning right. in the workplace or in life. I mean, community involvement is really low on this, on this survey. The response, only about 25% across the sample said that they sought out um, volunteer opportunities. And if you don't question and start developing questions of your own, then you're less likely to be involved in civic engagement, um, as well as volunteering in your local community and and taking part in that.
2: So So does this speak to the hierarchy, to the – oh, sorry, does does this speak to the hierarchy then, Allison, the structure of how we download information into our children and young adults is – it's kind of a top-down knower and the people that don't know? Well, I
6: think a lot of different... uh, I've talked to a lot of different people about this finding uh, and appeared at Harvard Graduate School of Education that's really fascinated with this, because how are we teaching today's teachers? Mm. And really, Dan Rothstein, we did an interview with him that's up on uh, ProjectInfoLit.org, one of our smart talk interviews, and he runs the Wright Institute organization, the Right Question Institute. Hmm. And the Right Question Institute, um, its mission is to teach question asking. And in its argument, and, and I totally agree, it's never the first question. It's getting somebody to be comfortable asking the second and third and fourth. Yeah. And that's really where the learning takes place. So in a lot of ways, what edu- people in education will tell you is, Teachers really aren't taught to encourage question asking from students and how that process occurs. I, I would say, you know, after teaching for 25 years in a college setting, um, we have a number of strategic learners. They know how to get into classes. They know how to memorize the information, take tests and get out. And they get A's. Right. And they're really not asking questions. Um, our interviewees talked about other reasons that I don't know if intimidate. Um, hmm. Certainly, in some cases, but really lessen the ability to ask questions, especially in big public institutions, and that's the student to professor ratio of classes. Yeah, class. yeah two
2: hundred people in a room or whatever—that's right. you may not dare say anything.
6: You know, and the most damning quote in our entire study is from a student from a big public institution that said, you have to understand, my university was in the business of churning out students. Right. Ooh. And they had a model, and they could get you through in four years, and you just didn't have time to ask questions. Oh, that's so sad. So they're good at responding to other people's questions, yeah but they 're not good at asking no. their own well so it's
2: so it 's like they don 't own their learning they don 't own their
6: they don 't own their learning yeah they own their you know the curriculum that 's served up so in the workplace, uh, for instance, we talked to somebody um, that we interviewed in the follow up interviews that what you see happening in some work settings is a number of seminars on interpersonal communication and question asking because they see it as a lacking skill and Someone from a Fortune 500 uh, company that we interviewed said, "Oh, at my company, they teach you the rule here, which is ask you know, why, why, and why." Hmm. And we all accept that here for new employees when they're coming in. So when somebody shows you a process, ask why, Great. and they'll know you're going to ask that because they know you're new. Yeah. Group.
2: So now it's kind of cultural; it's it's acceptable. Allison, as we we've got about two minutes. Um, So what should we as a dad with a college student uh, and another one on the way to college? What should I do? What can I do as a parent to and just anybody out there to make sure we're 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 teaching our children to own their learning, to know that they got to keep learning, to ask questions?
6: Well, I think, uh, you know, what's interesting is and it's our first recommendation. We make 10 at the end of the study. Uh, which is open access and on the site. Um, I, I think one of the more interesting little pieces that came through is parents in particular saying that they really want their children to graduate with the ability to see a much bigger view of the world beyond their discipline. Yeah. And those are often carried through in gen, gen ed or general education courses, which more and more are shrinking as emphasis on courses for employability are squeezing out those kinds of classes. So I think Gen Ed's important, I think in a practical sense, extracurricular activities that really force uh, students while they're students to go out of their comfort zone. Somebody talked about putting on a concert And then was surprised to find he had to sign a contract he'd never seen one. Hmm. He had to arrange for disabled parking. He didn't even think of it. (laughs) That's great. Copyright the music they were playing. I just wanted
2: to sing a song.
6: Play and perform. (laughs) All he said, "This is what my job's like now. Just a bunch of stuff thrown at you." So I think um, those kinds of experience help broaden students, and I think they've become very narrow through uh, through the process of education. I love it.
2: And we can get all of this information, is it on projectinfolit.org?
6: It is. Okay. And right at the top, uh, it says latest research, and there you'll find the full study. And we also produced a video. We have an infographic as well with key findings oh. a lot of them might discuss today. Yeah.
2: No, you know what? And it's such... It's so important and I sit around a, a, a lot of uh, students here at BYU that work on my team um, to do the show and I just – I feel for them because sometimes I, – I now especially I feel because to think that everything they're learning has about a shelf life of five years and uh, some of the shocking things they're going to have to go through when they leave. Um, it's well, scary. it
6: really is one of, uh, you know, our argument, we call these, this is in the series of the passage studies that we did. We also did high school the freshman year um, in these three studies that we did. And um, it's just a tremendous adjustment that we forget as employers, uh, as parents, as professors, yeah. that um, somebody's making and they're coming from diverse backgrounds. By the way, last thing, yeah. we use BYU students in our pilot testing of our survey.
2: Did we skew the data?
6: No, you forgot.
2: <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Sometimes we skew yeah, the data.
6: We, the, we always pilot test our instruments. And, that's good. <laughs> uh, somebody on the team knew a lot of BYU students. Oh, that's great. Grads, actually. Oh, and, great. Um, they had a lot of really good comments for improving the instrument.
2: Oh, perfect well i'm glad i'm glad we're helping um, dr Allison J head thank you so much for your great work and uh look forward to having you back on the show to keep uh, learning from you
6: great thank you Matt My thank total you pleasure
2: you bet take care great work everybody go to the website projectinfolit dot org project info lit for project information literacy projectinfolit dot org and you can learn more about uh, the studies they've been doing on you know how to launch, how to how to get out, and what's going to happen when uh, these kids are done with college, and what they need to know. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Basic real solutions, folks, uh, to help you with your real life issues. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Can you imagine uh, spending, you know, four years in school, maybe getting a graduate degree, and but then going into today's day and age, today's world, and trying to be competitive when it's all going to change in five years? I have people all the time that want uh, they want my advice on what they should do in. You know, they want to be, some of them want to be a therapist. Some of them want to have a radio show and be on the radio. Some of them want to do TV work like I do. Some of them want to be a public speaker. And I can't even tell them what to do because it's like, you know, I just read. I read a lot. I'd I'd study everything. I'd find what you're passionate about. I'd get as much education you can. I mean, what do you tell them? What do you tell them? But when I, now I can know, at least I should tell them. Ask questions. Learn, learn, learn. Make learning a part of your life, a part of what you love doing. It's an essential part of your life. Make uh, what I find is my profession is really my hobby. Um, so I'd rather go study what I do professionally because it, it's just fulfilling. Last night when I couldn't sleep, I read about today's guests. I didn't just go play a video game. Um. It's, it's my hobby. It's what, I, it's what I enjoy doing. It's a different day and age though, folks. And so make sure when you're talking to your kids that they're aware of – they need a broad spectrum of abilities and skills and tools. Make sure that what they're learning in school is applicable where it's not just about your, um, your degree anymore. It's not just about uh, your major. It's about critical thinking. And the ability to keep asking questions, framing questions, answering questions, and having questions answered until it's problem solved. It's a different day and age, isn't it? It's not enough to just get a degree. I think that's great analysis. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the show. Stick with us. A whole new hour. Next hour, we'll be getting into our parenting expertise and bringing on uh, Julie K. Nelson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At
1: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program three hours a day, bringing you the information you need to uh, have a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Today, we will be discussing with our, uh, we call her the bomb mom, the child whisperer. Julie Nelson is going to be discussing how to calm a crying baby. Which is interesting because uh, I don't – oh, I have a grandbaby. But I don't need to calm her. I just hold her and then when she gets upset, I
3: hand her to her grandma who just works her magic. Julie uh, sent me that topic in an email last week and I responded with the same way. It always works. Just hand him to his mom. Yeah. All they want is their mom. (laughs) I want to know
2: how you you calm a crying 20-something board operator. It's kind
3: of embarrassing when Ben gets on one of his fits. You know what I mean? Man. And he breaks down and just cries, cries, cries. How are you, Ben? Good. Good. You, you done crying? Um, sometimes you need a good cry. Yeah. Emphasis on sometimes. I This every morning thing, you walk in, you look up, your eyes are all swollen. It's like, come on, Ben. It's kind of uncomfortable. I, I'm good now. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Being a male, I'm not supposed to deal with emotions. <laughs> so, Well, you, you know, you uh, actually you know, get can. On the, get on the train, boy. You, you, can, you can deal with emotions. I don't want to, though.
2: But maybe I, this I, is important, too. Maybe that's why you need to learn how to calm a crying baby. Well, I know. I deal no, with them.
3: You just you give them chocolate. Well, I antagonize them is the problem. My wife thinks I'm making an enemy. Yeah. We're just having fun. And he laughs. He's laughing half the time, half well, the time. That's one of the things we find out about dads. Dads tend
2: to escalate the emotional reaction of their child. Hmm. They tend to – we tend to push the buttons. But what we do is that helps the child. I don't know if you know that because it helps them learn to manage their emotion. See, moms don't push their children Ooh,
3: I like to have a breakdown. This might help me win an argument or two at home.
2: But sometimes a father's – I guess it's either our innate ability or just our complete sense
3: of lack of – Can I invoke your name in a spousal dispute? No, it's actually really powerful. I'd like to quote one, Dr. Matt Townsend. I like to be called the
2: Dr. Matt. Oh, the Dr. Matt. The Dr. Matt. But it's it's important. Actually, dads help kids learn to manage emotion because we push them to the extreme of their emotion. A lot of mothers like, no, don't. Mm -hmm. Don't stimulate the child. Now we're going to bed. Now you're throwing the child around. Now you're wrestling. Well, if he doesn't learn now. That's right. He's got to learn. So we're going to be learning how to calm a crying baby, uh, which I don't know. Julie must think we need that. So Maybe. We'll be getting to that in a few minutes. Did you hear about this crazy news out of Orlando, Florida? Amazing. Uh, a Florida story with some crazy news. No. Yes. Uh, 260 exotic pets escaped from a Florida home when a venomous king cobra slithered away from an owner's home last summer. Putting neighbors and students of the nearby elementary school in fear for more than a month, state wildlife officers already had plenty of experience tracking down runaway critters. More than 260 exotic snakes, monkeys, lions, tigers, bears, and other captive animals have escaped in
3: Florida over the
2: past decade.
3: So not from one house. No. Just over the last decade. Bears. Someone had a bear at their home. Honey, where's the bear? Who left the bear cage open? Who let the bears out, right?
2: Who let the bears out? Uh, Anyway, animals apparently are slipping out of their enclosures at zoos, wildlife sanctuaries, and in private homes. Primates uh, make up the largest number of escaped animals reported in the state. More than 100 lemurs, monkeys, orangutans, and chimpanzees have gotten out of their enclosures. Wow. What is going on in Florida? So the Everglades is like a menagerie then. Totally. Just everything. You know, it's amazing. Like, I mean, my block, I think I know of five dogs. I don't even know of
3: oh, one cat. We had a story a while back of the state of Florida sponsors a a snake hunt. Oh yeah. And in I, there's a video that went with that story that was talking about in the Everglades, there are no small animals anymore. It's amazing. All no, of no, the rodents are gone. No rodents. No no wild rabbits. Just nothing <laughs> because of these snakes. And they're just now they're eating each other. These snakes are huge because they're they're just they're hungry.
2: But Florida, you you're, you lead the race. I mean, there's we heard of a story in Chicago where the guy was keeping a gator. Yeah. In his basement. That's just an alligator. Just for twenty something years, it grew to six feet. That's a big deal. It would have been twelve feet foot long, but it was in probably a small enclosure. Stunning in its growth. Honey, have you walked the gator? <laughs> Just walking down the street. Son, if I have to tell you to walk that gator one more time, I'm going to get rid of it. <laughs> uh, how are you going to do that, Dad? It's illegal to have. Think about feeding
3: have. time. You have to go get the goat in the backyard. <laughs> Son, bring Daddy the goat. <laughs> that
2: is crazy. Uh, anyway, uh, you're killing it, Flor- Florida. Well done. Or soon will be. I'm, I'm. What's funny, my mom only let me have hermit crabs. Wow! Two little hermit crabs that died. Apparently, they don't eat weedies. Well, now you know. I fed them weedies, and that's they, they weren't big on that. Just died. I went through a lot of animals. I mean, in a good way. What do you mean, the good way? I mean, they didn't die. Oh, okay. They were just removed <laughs> legally by authorities. I had ducks. I had a bird named Ferd that caught the flu. A bird named Ferd? Mm-hmm. Okay. Caught the flu because so he was by the back door. Right. That's what—that's the story we're you telling. To think about that. I had hermit crabs.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: You fed them Wheaties? They didn't like that? Yeah, they
2: hated that. They died. They didn't last long at all. Hermit crabs are very fragile, I guess, <laughs> even though they probably lived for millions of years. Uh, what else did I have? A dog mm-hmm. named Buddy, that an underbite. He had an underbite. Cutest dog you've ever seen. Hmm. Oh, I missed Buddy till my mom killed him.
3: No, 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 no took, she him, did. took him to the, the farm upstate.
2: No, not, that, not this dog. Oh, this not, dog not. <laughs> she took to the vet and they had to put him down and yeah. she killed him. Was it she, old? She, she had him killed. Old
3: dog? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's probably for the best. That's what they say. <laughs> it was pretty devastating.
2: <laughs> anyway, mom, thanks. For killing my dog. Now, she was doing the best she could. But she did have my, my, uh, my ducks taken away. You had ducks too. My parents divorced, and my dad got me some ducks. Fastest way to tick off your ex. Yeah, apparently here's some animals like, that look are Mom, under dad control. Dad gave me gave me two ducks, Butch and Sundance. I named them. They were so cute. Hmm. Ducks are nasty. Yeah. Nasty, dirty. And they can be mean too. Uh-huh. Oh, these were cute though. Oh, okay. And uh, every day they'd just be in my garage. I'd come home and I'd go check on my ducks. And one day I came home and they were gone. And my mom's like, they're gone? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, did you feed them? Mm. Well, I was going to when I got home. But you didn't feed them in the morning? No. Did you give them water? No. Well, maybe they left to go get food and water. And then about five years later we were at a wedding and we saw these ducks at the wedding on a (laughs) pond. And she's like, I bet those are your ducks. And then she came clean. That she had hired somebody to abduct my ducks. A duck abduction. Wow. Parenting. That's why we have a parenting expert coming on in just a minute, Julie K. Nelson. <laughs> What's going on in the rest of the world we need to pay attention to?
3: Thanks, Matt. The Nevada caucuses are tonight. CNN polling has Donald Trump with a huge lead, 45% to Marco Rubio's 19 and Ted Cruz's 17%. Marco Rubio thinks bad things will happen if Donald Trump wins the nomination.
6: If we nominate someone that half of the Republican Party hates, we're going to be fighting against each other all the way to November. I don't care how much you may think
2: they're funny or how interesting they may sound. If we nominate someone that 40 to 50 percent of our party can't stand,
3: we are going to lose. But we'll have a brokered convention which will make for great TV. Great, great TV, great ratings. I saw uh, Speaker of the House. What's his name? I just forgot his name. I had uh, talk Ryan, about it. Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan was on, I believe, Fox News, and they asked him if there was a brokered convention, would he step in as a candidate? So we have the poss- – there's the possibility that we go through all this nonsense for all this time. They get to the convention and somebody oh. else steps up and wins the nomination that never ran, never put forth a – it, we we didn't have this chance to hear them talk and you know share their ideas on foreign policy and taxes and all this stuff and someone just steps in as the hero and unites the party. Oh, that would be interesting. And but, then disenfranchises so many people right. because then what's the process for? But the process <laughs> was for giving a lot of money to every state. Yeah, well, I guess. And the media. I just thought that would ju- that would just add to the chaos. Just that would be crazy. Make it happen. Presidential candidate Ted Cruz said Monday that he would, of course, support federal agents actively looking for undocumented immigrants to deport. <laughs> he said this in an interview with Bill O'Reilly. Um, he asked Cruz if he would send forces to, for example, nab a father who overstays his visa and he's got a couple of kids. Cruz responded, you better believe it. In January, the te- in January, the Texas senator had dismissed anything akin to a deportation force on CNN, saying at the time, I don't intend to send jackboots to knock on your doors, uh, every door in America. That's not how we enforce the law for any crime. After Cruz's interview, Joe Pounder, the campaign spokesman for Republican rival Marco Rubio, tweeted, Tonight, Ted Cruz endorsed an idea he expressly rejected five weeks ago. What changed? And then he just put SC for South Carolina. Yeah. He's behind. He slipped a bit. Oh, wow. So interesting interesting how that works. Two days after an Uber driver allegedly shot and killed six people in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Uber's chief security officer said Monday that the company does not plan to change its screening process for drivers. Joe Sullivan said during a conference call with reporters that since the driver, 45-year-old Jason Brian Dalton, did not have a criminal record, a more thorough background check in this case would not have made a difference. Uber says that Dalton also had worked as an insurance adjuster, cleared his background checks on January 25th, and before Saturday night had picked up about 100 fares, he had a high rating of 4.73 out of five stars. Obviously, they didn't ask everybody.
2: For the rating. I don't know how far a background check should go. Well, what you should say no matter what is, is we are going to look into our background check and make sure that we're doing everything we can possible to make sure these people are safe. That's
3: what you say. Yeah. We whether Not that the background check would not have made a difference. Yeah. Interesting. So more of a PR angle on yeah, this. Yeah, it just seems like you need to at least address the fact that people have died. Yeah. Ugh, sad. Yeah. Uh, with the uh, the situation with Apple and the FBI, even bipartisanship doesn't break down. Americans' majority stance that Apple should unlock San Bernardino shooter uh, iPhone to assist the FBI investigation in the December 2nd attack. A survey by Pew Research out Monday revealed that nearly equal numbers of Democrats, 55 percent, and Republicans, 56 percent, say that Apple should comply with the FBI request for assistance. Yeah. Every, come on. Come on. Everybody yeah. except. Apple, Mr. Gates, now too, and now Mr. Gates is on the FBI side. Yeah, too. he's like, do it. Um, a British man admits his recent name change was the culmination of probably too much, too many drinks at the local pub. Oh no, per what the Evening Standard, Smith, now officially known as Mr. Double Bacon Cheeseburger, <laughs> says he and his pals were chatting about switching up names <laughs> when his Burger King-inspired moniker was suggested. It was largely the most ridiculous thing we could have thought of. He said. Um, he goes, my friends were quite supportive of anything that makes me look silly, as good friends are. <laughs> he filled out the request application. Do it, and when Jimmy. The final paperwork arrived to him to sign. He was perhaps, unfortunately, he said, uh, drinking at the same time. They produced. His friends prodded That's... him to seal the deal. His mother was outraged. His father was thought it was funny. And you are
2: not a double bacon chief. His
3: fiance says he will change his name before they get married. That's how that uh, his fiance is um, a green toss salad. Is no, she has a traditional name, and would like to have him have a traditional name before they got married. Can't we just be who we are, Mister Double Bacon Cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> okay, if that is not a
2: testament to not drinking, I would just say do not drink and and sign any paperwork about anything or you'll wake up double bacon cheeseburger. Townsend. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Right there. Giving you everything you need, folks, to make it through.
5: Alleluia, Alleluia,
2: Alleluia. That's it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll be speaking with the bomb mom, the child whisperer. Julie Nelson will be joining us um, from a spoonful of com. She's going to give us some tools, some keys, uh, some non-pharmaceutical ways of calming a crying baby. The healthy ways, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, in the studio. Our uh, good friend Julie K. Nelson. We don't use the K anymore, do we, Julie?
0: Oh, you can you can throw it in. there. I can't get rid of it. It's you in can throw my it head. In
2: there, yeah. Uh, Julie is the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and Get the, Grab the Plunger Twenty 25- Five. <laughs>
0: Uh, it was called – what's it called? It's called – um, I've got it right
2: here. It's your book. Keep, I, keep, it, I, I real can't book. keep it real and grab a plunger. 25 Tips for Surviving Keep parent. it real
0: and grab a plunger. That's it.
2: But you're also the bomb mom. You are a, a professor at uh, Utah Valley University. That That's right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we, we don't call it Utah Valley State – Utah Valley University. But you teach parenting skills, marriage skills. Today you're going to teach us how to calm a crying baby without yeah. using NyQuil. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that's – I've been no Benadryl, a lot. No Benadryl.
0: No Benadryl. That was my go-to uh, thing when I go on long trips is let's just bring the Benadryl along.
2: How's that working? It
0: worked really well with my little ones. <laughs> Did it? Does do, your, dope them up.
2: How many kids do you have?
0: Uh, five. Five? Yes. I'm going
2: to fix your microphone there. There you go. Five my five kidlets mm-hmm. and your baby is a uh, 14. Old 14-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a grandbaby
0: yes. and I
2: thought I was over like calming the baby down thing but um, they just said, will you just watch her for a minute? We're just going to be back and I'm like, sure and she'll sleep.
0: You're like, I got this. I, I raised I I like, six, six kids. kids
2: and I was really good at getting them to sleep. I could – I mean it just – I was – I don't want to brag but I was at a master level and – I'm like sure, and she's like, she won't even wake up. She's she's been asleep. She'll be great. And then there's a bottle if she needs it, but she won't even need it because we just fed her. So, and the minute it's almost like the minute the door shut,
0: Mm -hmm. something triggers. She woke up Mm
2: -hmm. and she just started crying. And I tried everything.
0: You're like, what do I do? I tried the burping.
2: I, I tried everything.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Terry, the producer, about yeah. the subject. And I said, so what do you do with a crying baby? You know, how do you get it to calm down? And he goes, you give it back to the mom. Exactly. <laughs> <That's weird. laughs>
2: My wife can do it. I have a son that just left on an LDS mission. He was great, too. He played the magic, huh? You got you to gotta stay with it. Like, And you can't get emotional about it Yeah, part of
0: it is just being agitated yourself. You don't know what you're doing. And so you get all tensed up and the baby feels it. So your son obviously was really confident and calm about it. And he just transmitted that calm to the baby.
2: So calm creates calm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, one of the things I like to talk about kind of as a – PSA is that, you know, we talk a lot about putting babies on their backs to avoid right. SIDS. Um, and hospitals help that with with newborns. Um, but that pa- seems parents. to
2: change every five yeah. years. The yeah, and there's rule. kind
0: of some kind of a you know, an awareness. Um, and some hospitals are doing this, but not enough. And I'd like to see more hospitals to- talk to new parents about shaken baby syndrome. Yeah. Um, and educate them because uh, when we lose control, when we don't know what we're doing, we're agitated. This is something that um, happens in some families that are unintentional. This is is not abusive parents, but it is called abusive head trauma, and you can go to prison for this if they convict yeah. you. And what happens is that you're frustrated for a moment, you don't know what to do, and so your automatic response is to take the baby and shake it like this shake it back and forth like right. a like a rag doll. And, um, the you succumb to the frustration of responding to this baby who's crying, you don't know what to do with it, and um. So we I think we need to give more awareness of of not only the parents but any caregiver that might take care of the baby because sometimes it happens in the hands of somebody else who's yeah. a babysitter or a boyfriend you know of a of a single parent um or even a you know and a care in a you know daycare situation i mean it causes
2: brain damage or mm-hmm. death and yeah. and just because you are having a bad moment
0: a moment it's not like you're a bad parent or you're even abusive, right. but you just lose it for a moment because what happens is that the baby's head? As we all know, when they're first, they're 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 top heavy. Yeah, and they don't have a neck that can support all that weight. And so, when you shake the baby back and forth, the head flops back and forth, causing that serious brain injury. Mm. Um, the blood vessels connecting to the skull are fragile and immature, and so the it, the brain ricochets inside the skull and tears away. Um, often there's retinal damage. It pools inside their skull, so um, you know you can cause death, brain damage, or blindness. And so it's a pretty serious thing. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk today about what to do when you're frustrated in those moments, and, and what to do with other people who might care for your baby, who may be not quite as you know bonded as you are. Right. Who don't have the, the emotional investment, and then get frustrated even more easier. Yeah, than you do. can't
2: just assume they'll do it or know what to do. even. Yeah. Because yeah. people, some people just don't know what to do, mm-hmm. and then they react.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not that they meant to.
2: Yeah. So, what and, do we do? And what should any parent do, grandparent? What should we do?
0: Well, first of all, talk to anyone who cares for your baby about if you, you know, try all these things and have a list of things that your baby loves. Because every baby's slightly different right. and they respond to being held differently. And as you start to know your baby, make a list of things that that baby loves to do, sounds they love to hear, or emotions they love to feel, the way they love to be held. Yeah. And so, you know, anyone who cares for them, give them those tools and a list so that you don't just assume. That they know what your baby loves the best. Well,
2: that, that's the that's the thing. Like with our grandchild, you just turn her face out, and and she just loves it. Yeah. And then rock her or turn on, let her see the light or a TV light or a. You don't even have. To, you don't go close, but you just let her see anything new, yeah. or a sound. Or... Yeah. So
0: some like to be out and uh-huh. look out at life. Some, want to, some want to be turned. in. Some want like to be turned in. Some want to be on it out. the. Some like to be on their stomach and on your lap, That's with your exactly, face yeah. down. Some like to be on their side. So figure it out, and then see which way they respond best, and then train other people. I've also
2: noticed, you know, a little lifesaver. <laughs> just, I don't put it. I just hold it. And her mom says I shouldn't do that. But no. As a grandfather, I know.
0: No, every no.
2: child loves a little life. No, saver. No.
0: no candy. They're going to choke, and you're yeah. going to die. They're going to die because of choking. Yeah. So, uh, my number one thing that I love to do, and I always you know, had a swing. Swings were often oh, really those were great. helpful. Sure. Uh, but I want to go through a list here Nia, and talk about how you, if you have that perfect storm of being a new parent, you're exhausted, sleep deprived, probably maybe inexperienced. Even if you have other kids, you're inexperienced with this baby. What mm-hmm. does this baby need? And um, maybe you, you know, haven't eaten well, yeah. uh, and so you just might lose it. So make a list of things that you can try with the baby um, that will work. The thing that worked the most, besides the swing, for me. Um, Buying those wonderful things that you like wind up, you know, and they just, oh, man, is I would take them if I really I just had to get out of the house. I would take them in their car seat and go for a ride or put them in the stroller and go for a walk. That refreshed me because I got out of the situation. You just need to kind of sometimes get out of that room mm-hmm. and um, go out. And even in, you know, if you're going public, if you're going in with a stroller in the mall, you're not going to do your baby harm because you're in public. Plus the fact that your hands are occupied on the steering wheel and you're physically yeah. removed from the baby. So you're not going to be able to shake it. Right. So that's one of the best things is to get yourself away from handling the baby and put it in another device like a car seat. And they love the sound of the engine and the roar, uh-huh. the purring of the engine. And they love the motion and strolling especially they love the wheels going well, around and, and, and the
2: air and mm-hmm. the so but i guess part of this too is know your baby enough to know too that they're not you so if you can shop for 4 hours at Costco that doesn't mean your baby can <laughs> exactly. right so plan for that and and your baby can't maybe they can't maybe you know you got 1 hour mm-hmm. so make it 1 hour don't push the limits of the 1 hour yeah or you're going to push your own.
0: <laughs> That's good own advice. Limits. That's good advice. Horrible. So find some kind of device, whether it's a it's a swing or it's a taken on um, that kids. Yeah. I mean, at two a.m., just go for a car ride. Yeah. And you can't touch the baby because you're on the the steering wheel and they're behind. Yeah, you in the I car love seat. that. Um, so try something like that that has some kind of emotion motion and a sound to it. Um, another idea is just to kind of calm yourself down, hold your baby against your chest, and gently massage the baby. And that motion of massaging it, learning learning baby massage, I learned that with my second child, I think it was. Went to a class. Hmm. I use baby infant massage the whole time I had uh, children. Every time I had a baby and they still, even as o- older kids, they loved to have them, your, their legs rubbed down. And, yeah. and so learn infant massage. That's great. And then as you do infant massage, it also calms you down because you're doing those stroking motions. And you're getting
2: oxytocin, mm-hmm. you're getting chemicals flowing that are yeah, healthy. Yeah, through the
0: baby and through you because yeah. by the act of massaging your baby, you're also mass- massaging right. yourself. So, I and mean, you might
2: have a favorite chair. We had a Rocking lazy boy chair mm-hmm. that was heaven, <laughs> and we would just rock. And sometimes when they were frustrated, you rock. You'd hold them close to you, but you'd rock, and a little harder rock. Even they, they would, they'd yeah. love it.
0: Yeah, a little more jiggly. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little later. So your, your 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 go to was the rocking chair. Yeah. Go uh,
2: my go to was yeah.
0: Heading off to the to the wife.
2: Yeah, honey. <laughs>
0: Your child (laughs) needs a break.
2: Let's take a break. Uh, We're talking with uh, Julie K. Nelson about how to protect your children from shaken baby syndrome, but also just how to calm them. Mm -hmm. How to calm them down and how to calm yourself down. More from the bomb mom and the child whisperer. Uh, Go check out her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. Julie K. Nelson. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
0: I know we've done this before.
2: Back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Today we are talking with Julie K. Nelson um, from the website A Spoonful of She's t- walking us through uh, how to calm a crying baby because sometimes you lose it and you can't afford to lose it with a baby. You got to stay cool. I guess the first rule is hand them off. Yeah, or hand don't them pick off. them up.
0: Don't pick them up. In fact, I tell my uh, my parents if all else fails. Put them down and walk away. Yeah. Because you're not going to hurt the baby by letting it cry. Right. Um, but you might harm the baby if you go to it and pick it up and start shaking it. Yeah. And, and um, shaken baby syndrome, by the way, is the number one form of infant of, abuse. Is child it really? abuse. Yeah. If you could look at all the different types of abuses, it's the most common type of infant abuse. Oh. And, of course, leads to death and mental retardation other things yeah. like that. So oh, it's, it's a serious thing. It's a it serious really thing. is. Uh-huh.
2: So what else do we do if we don't – we shouldn't pick it up if we're losing it, mm-hmm. put the baby down, mm-hmm. walk away, go calm yourself down. Yeah. Take them on a ride was another idea. Yeah. Get them out of the house. Get, Do something. Get different. yourself
0: out of the house. Yeah, yeah. if you can. At two a.m., that's a little hard, but I could go for a ride at two a.m. Oh yeah, and put on the you know put on some music in my car, and then just kind of calm myself. And often that that hum of that engine yeah. in the car, and just this, the motion of the of the car, really can calm down the baby. So another one is just to be patient with yourself, to take some deep breaths and count mm. to you know count up, just like you would be if you were to start to lose it with the child because yeah. they got you mad. Just start to calm yourself by doing some of that meditation. Breathing exercise and and be patient with yourself. Another one is to call a friend or a relative. If you have a specially colicky baby, you need to have resources, especially if you are a, par- a single parent yourself. Yeah. Um, and or maybe you're married and your spouse just isn't the person to, to rely on. Call someone that can come and take over. Maybe it may not be at 2 a.m., but you know maybe at seven o'clock in the morning when you've had an all night upper. Mm. Then have someone that you can just come over and take over while you can go take a nap. Well, you can, you can learn.
2: Nap. I mean, if you're if this is a once in a while, a once in a few week thing, that's one thing. But if it's a colicky baby. Mm-hmm. There's a reason, right? Learn why. Learn about colic, right? Mm-hmm. Study it. Figure it out. Is it something you're eating? Is it the time you're eating? Is it acid reflux? What is it? There's something going on.
0: Yeah. At the, um, on my list at the bottom, you're just bringing this one up. Let's, let's talk about it. Go to see the doctor. If it's something that yeah. is really colicky, it could be that you're you're eating too much gassy foods. Yeah. Um, broccoli, chocolate, um, even um, are you listening? Ben dairy dairy products.
5: Yeah, Ben. Uh, my
0: first one was very colicky, and it wasn't until six months of screaming nonstop oh. that we realized that he had lactose intolerance. And so when I was taking dairy and and breastfeeding, it was going through him.
5: Oh man! And so that
0: was that was something. And then of course my brother had. Um, there's just different things that you can have like acid reflux um, that really can interfere with a touch yeah. baby, and they are they're in pain.
2: Just keep, just sit. We uh, we had a friend. All they had to do is have their baby sit up a little bit,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it didn't. It slept through the night. Yeah. But by having it down more, it was constantly getting acid reflux.
0: Yeah, and there, if you have a baby who's a, who always is spitting up, who's mm-hmm. always um, maybe it's because they're having issues with even hiatal hernias. Yeah. anything where they where they can't keep the food the, down.
2: The crying is telling you something. Yeah. So it, almost if you remain curious to it instead of just ticked off about it. Mm-hmm. It, it might help you solve it.
0: Yeah, and don't just go to one doctor and get no information. Right. Keep going until you find Figure the answers. It out. Mm-hmm. Another one would be to, um, and this is a big one, is we forget that the baby just weeks ago was inside the womb, mm-hmm. just completely immersed in warm, loving it, war, cozy. Wa- cozy, warm yeah. water,
2: dirty water, but
0: but warm, warm, and um, very very tightly yeah. bound. And so we want to somehow simulate that so that it feels secure again. And like it was for nine months. So some babies respond to a warm bath yeah. um to calm them down before bedtime. Um If not that, especially, I find that people today, especially in the United States, we just don't know how to swaddle babies oh, anymore. Know. They know how to swaddle it in all the other countries, and they've been doing it for right. centuries. Um And they carry them on the back, and the babies are happy. I, I used to live in South America, and I never saw a crying baby for years.
2: <laughs> strapped on the back, Because yeah. they
0: all are swaddled tightly yep. and strapped on the back, and they're happy. I not it?
2: funny that we can wrap a burrito but we can't swaddle our children.
0: <laughs> so go on YouTube folks, Pathetic. learn how to swaddle tightly oh, a baby. Yeah. They will calm down and they and it's just the fact of feeling that protection around yeah. them like they're back in the womb. So um another some children are more sensitive to light and sound and so lower lights, try to get them out of too much stimulation yeah. if it's going on they're just there's Keep too much noise. Keep the other noise. kids away. Mm-hmm. It, it just may be the temperament of the child. Um if you can also be, bring music in music can also help um sing to your baby that that relaxes you and also helps you to de-stress or talk to the baby using soothing tones um, learn some little songs or things that calm you. It could be could be nursery rhymes or whatever, right. or just songs. Turn on the radio and listen to the radio and sing along. Roxanne, <laughs> but not exactly. You don't have to. Turn yeah, off.
2: maybe not. Not that. Maybe not every not,
0: song. Yeah, not every song. The soothing <laughs> songs that you can sing along that yeah. you love, and as you sing songs you love, or you know baby songs, mm-hmm. then um, the baby. Uh, Could respond to that, especially if you were a singer while it was in your womb, and they recognized that sound. And but just mostly to calm you down. Um, Another big thing, another big thing, is um, and I did this uh, as well is having sounds around that create that white noise. Yeah, because a lot they have white noise machines. They have white machines because babies love to hear the whoosh whoosh that was the sound of the womb. And so they listen to vacuum cleaners, they listen to dryers, washing machines, and that you can actually get those sounds or record them oh, yourself. Yeah. You can buy CDs oh, yeah. of womb sounds.
2: Yeah, put a headset on your baby though, <laughs> or earbuds. <laughs> and you can put
0: them in the in the crib, and then they play these oh, things. Oh, I love that. It kind of goes the whoosh, whoosh, yeah. whoosh sounds of your internal organs and mm-hmm. your and the heartbeat, and they love that sound. So That's cool. get out the vacuum if your baby's crying and just vacuum the heck out of your house, or have your husband do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so put on these, you know, hair dryers. Anything with these white noises might help. Even a if, if kind of one of those filter fan things. Mm-hmm. Um, see what your baby likes and play some white noise. Um, I want to end with this this interesting doctor. His name's Doctor Harvey. He's from the Happiest Baby Institute. He's found a ninety eight success rate using oh. the five S's. Have you heard what of? What
2: are them? they? No, is he the guy that's on YouTube?
0: Yes, he is,
2: and he says how to take how to calm a crying baby. Yeah,
0: and he knows how to do it. I've seen him and do he, it. He like, does His a wife. judo,
2: crazy karate. Move. He did, I mean, he turns him, he rotates him. He...
0: Well, I don't is know. Is this th- the guy? Yeah, could be. He has five s's. The first one is sucking. Now, you know, I didn't mention sucking in my list because my kids never were pacifiers babies. Oh. Um, so that didn't work for me. But yeah. if yours love pacifiers, then do that. The um, they, might, they might find their thumb as well. Yeah. Um, that calms them down. But he says, you know, try the pacifier. That's the first S. Second S is to swaddle. Again, the swaddling. He has the arms down, tightly fitted. Um, he shows how to do it mm-hmm. properly. Um, you can also buy these now. They're sw- actually swaddling blankets where they have Velcro where you just oh, put it across and you, it's a no-fail swaddling yeah. They thing. call those
2: straight jackets yeah. when they're adults.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, it's, you just buy them already that way. Um, put them on their side or their stomach, he says, just because of the acid and the, the, uh-huh. or the or their gas. And um, he says that that is better to have them on their side or their stomach. And then he does this thing where you hold them yeah. on their side, of their stomach, and you put your, ha- your mouth up to their ear. And then very controlled shushing in their ears. Shh, 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 like that. And you think almost like that baby's not yeah. going to like that. You're like almost, you know, agitating them. But it's it's again that womb sound of um, what they heard yeah, in the, the yeah The
2: blood and the and the, the pressure exactly.
0: In the body. So he does that right in their ear, and then he does the swinging in yeah. not swinging huge like a swing, but small small quivering mo- movements, kind of like you uh-huh. said in your rocking chair. Yeah. Where it's kind of hard, yeah, a little hard, but a, but you know. But I hold her tight. Hold them tight. So their
2: head's not flipping around, mm-hmm. but then. But there's something about that. Yeah. They They probably felt that in the womb. In the womb
0: womb again. So you're just recreating that. that, What's uh, this doctor's name? Dr. Harvey.
2: Oh, I I did. I watched that. I sent that to my daughter and it works.
0: It works. He has a 98% sex raise. And I like the way he shows how to swaddle as well because we just don't know how to do that anymore.
2: We're we're not good at that. Mm -hmm. Julie, you're the bomb mom. Hey. You did it again.
0: You're the Matt Townsend show.
2: Uh, Yes, I am. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And a spoonful of com is the website. Go check it out. She's got great books. All of her blogs, her posts are there. She's the real deal. In fact, all uh, the list of what to do with a crying baby, it's all there. Mm-hmm. That's how on top of it she is. Julie K. Nelson, thanks.
0: Nice to be here, Matt. Good, I have it, a great good day. to have you.
2: Mm-hmm. You too. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies over at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Uh, we'll also be getting to our hero story, so stick with us on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I feel nice. Sugar and spice. Let's shoot it down right now to Sugar and Spice. My good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. With it. What How are you guys? Solid. Solid as a rock. I've missed you. I haven't seen you for twenty-four hours.
1: Well, we haven't actually seen each other. Oh, no. haven't we? You, you have seen us though, huh? Because you watch.
2: I watch. Well, I watch behind the curtain. Just look behind the curtain right now. There I am. I'm everywhere. Whee, whee, whee. <laughs> hey, was that uh was that an homage to um the what's that called? Uh the guy in the bathtub. Psycho. Psycho.
1: Alfred Hitchcock?
2: Yeah. Yes. Hey, um we just learned about what to do with a crying baby. And I know you guys have
1: Give it to my wife.
2: See? That's the answer. Nine out of ten fathers hand it over to their wife. Is that the right thing to do?
1: Not well, necessarily. We were just answering the question.
2: It would be better that you learn to, <laughs> to, to do it yourself, to, how, yeah. to, how to calm the child. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what Ben said is the Rock number one it, way to calm it. a child? Uh, no, Benadryl. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Mm. He's not even a father. Not even a father. Hey, um, <laughs> today, by the way, I forgot to tell you is ba- banana bread day. Are you guys big into every banana bread? Every day banana bread day. Don't I, I think. Oh, that is a zucchini bread day. Oh, yeah. If oh, I think I'm hungry. Is that bad? Yeah. Well, you get up
1: early. So your body's probably like it's lunchtime
2: mm-hmm.
1: when you end the show. It's exactly. Does that right. happen?
2: Yeah, every day. And they don't let me eat in the studio.
1: Oh, we know how that is. You know, I, I did though one day. I just brought in Pringles and ate them on the air. That happened. Oh, did my. You, did
5: you? Well, um, they
1: were, no, they were laced potato chips. Yep, exactly. I think we have a recording. I was trying to sabotage the countdown to... That was really I, great. I trying to sabotage? You, good to know I did it. You done did sabotage it. That was that was the most validating Saboteur.
2: comment I've had. <laughs> hey, um, today's also curling is cool day. And as two sports enthusiasts, I know you guys love a good uh, round of curling.
1: I've never curled formally, although uh, here in Utah at the Kearns Ice Arena, I don't know what that uh, is.
2: Kearns Curling Capital.
1: Um, you can uh, you can go curl there. Now there's uh, an Olympic venue with ice in Provo, but I don't think you can curl no, there. No, no. I could be wrong.
2: Everybody can't. You can't curl everywhere.
1: Yeah, you can't. Just, you can't just roll out of bed and curl. <laughs> Start curling. For sake. Hey, um, there's no curl to that, though. That's the weird part of that. Story. Is Let
2: me ask you this. Is curling a sport?
1: It's in the Olympics, so yes.
2: Well, so hold on. But I'm asking a sports enthusiast,
1: two of them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is, is
2: curling a sport? And what part of the sport or what part of curling is the sport? Is it the 40-pound rock?
1: There's no c- curl to it.
2: Right. I mean, like a pitcher can I'm, throw a I'm curve I'm not Canadian,
1: pad. so I'm not the best to talk about this. Oh, I didn't grow up in Minnesota or Wisconsin, so I don't know.
2: <laughs> Minnesota. It's it's a curve. Or Michigan. Yeah. Terry, Terry who met his wife curling in a, yeah. and then had a curling accident, he says it's curve. There's a curve. Maybe?
1: What are you saying there?
2: No, no, not a baby. Oh. Uh, just a, a curling accident. We were talking earlier on the show how he got wedged under one of the curling rocks. I don't know what they call those. Um, stones. Stones. Yeah. He, he got stoned and um, just was Words stuck.
1: That have never been uttered on BYU. I know. He was stuck right
2: under now. the stone.
1: Sheila Lyons is going to send you an email.
2: <laughs> no, but not like drug <laughs> stoned. He got 40 pound uh... granite bomb stoned.
1: Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. It'll, hey, it'll happen, you know? He
2: got stuck between um, a stone and a, in a hard place. In a hard place. <laughs> oh. oh, we have so much fun together. Ah, good times. <laughs> hey, um, two things. Uh, Jimmer Fredette hit a three-pointer. Everybody went crazy.
1: Yep. Isn't that interesting?
2: I mean, that's, like, huge news. <laughs> why? <laughs> We're going to discuss why. Are you? Okay. And what does it even mean well,
1: yeah what does what Jim and Fredette and the Knicks mean like what's the fit what's being said by the coach and uh oh yeah what, what is does that oh mean?
2: cool that's great
1: yeah what's being said by the coach and it's and it's uh it's interesting to say the least
2: well i think I look at it more that he's only got nine days left
1: and four games <laughs> and four that's more probably games probably the reality of the situation and, um, i mean unless
2: he i mean he's a great guy, I'd love him to make it, but you know he he made the three when they gave him the ball that was good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were done 22 at the time. So the yeah. the relevance of the three, unfortunately, the context was not great.
2: Yeah. He needs a 24-pointer. I don't know if hot, that shot exists. Shots. Does that yeah. shot exist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off the wall, through the soda machine, in the basket. Buckets. Hey, uh, another story I've got to ask you about is Bronco Mendenhall's uh, news about, you know, independence.
1: Yeah, the comment that stuck out from the USA Today article yesterday for me was um, when he mentioned that he felt like um, he had kind of done what he could do yeah. at BYU. And and to me that, that screams – here's exactly what he said. It was crystal clear that I had done what I was capable of and supposed to do at BYU with the time I was there. So that meant 8-8-8 eight, eight, eight and 9-win seasons? I, I, that's what he could do in independence? Is huh. that um, – say more about BYU or about him as a coach I I don't know yeah. because when BYU was in a conference he went 6 and then 10 11 11 10 7 wins mm. and then an in independence went 10 8 8 8 9 um so in I mean interesting yeah I I don't I don't like it when someone leaves and goes you know what really happened let me give you um, the real story I, I actually love it but at the same time I go why Why now? Why be so forth right now? Because you feel like there are less consequences associated with saying what you say? or hmm. I, I, I don't disagree with him, though, because BY is in an interesting position by choice as an independent, playing tough schedules. It's going to be harder to win 10, 11 games. Oh, you just, yeah. You just don't have as many cupcakes. You're not going to load up cupcakes. On oh, BYU's don't say cupcakes. Are you, are you hungry? I'm
2: starving. Yeah.
1: Well, let, here, quit your whining, dude. 7
2: minutes and 36 seconds. I know and then I'm going to chow down. Do and you then, end
1: at 58 or top of the hour? <laughs> um
2: I actually I don't end till 9 tonight. I go all day. Okay. Nobody's listening. They turn the mics off, but I just keep talking.
1: <laughs> you just keep talking. <laughs> There's no closure.
2: I end at 59:45. Okay. Is so that you, crazy?
1: So yeah, yeah. Like 7 minutes. Let's go. Come on.
2: But it will feel it's in dog years. That's like, you know, 14 yeah. Jimmer, get in there. Hit your three. Let's go. Okay? <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't mind that, you're, that
1: you're, the guy you guarded scored two buckets oh. during that one-minute, 49-second span. Oh. Just hit your three-pointer, oh. and that's what we'll talk about.
2: Oh, that's on the show today. I did not know that happened. I only saw <laughs> no, the highlight reel. No, no, no talk about that part. Okay. Well, yeah. No, that'll come up on your show. Yeah. Anything that's else okay. we got to know about that's going to be on the show? Because I know it'll be a home run. You always do that.
1: We always do that? You always hit a home run. You always wow. do. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. You Matt. really do.
2: I mean, and that's, that, that's how much I care about you. That's, you guys are that good that I say you always hit a home run. Always. Unless you have a double.
1: Thank you for allowing us to follow. The awesomeness that is the Matt Townsend oh, Show. love it. Each oh. and every weekday on BYU Radio. You asked us what else was going on. Jeff Judkins, women's basketball coach in studio. Nope, yep. rock- it's only Jimmer. That's it. They're rocking it. Jimmer, Mike Littlewood, baseball coach. They're 4-0 for the first time since 98. Oh, sweet. And then football signee Jackson Kafusi. Oh, boy. Is going to join us in studio.
2: Another Kafusi.
1: Three days in the studio today.
2: Man, busy. Busy. I'll bring you some chips or something. What I can. kind of chips? I don't know. I'll is bring it- you some banana bread.
1: Okay. Uh, hey, that'd be great. I'd love some. Banana oh, yeah. chips.
2: I'll bring you some banana chips from my dehydrator. <laughs> <laughs> some I gotta, turkey, some venison. But, uh, let me go check the turkey and venison dehydrator in my <laughs> office. Come on over. I'll I'll give you some, I, I wore
1: here all night. I won't be shocked if someone in the building actually has that. I building. know they do. I, I'm sure <laughs> they do. I, I even have someone in particular, but I'm not going to say their
2: name. Well, you need it for food storage, right? <laughs> You just put your, you yes. just put the dried meats away.
1: Yes, because hey. everyone knows how to shoot, kill, skin, <laughs> and get the deer meat in there.
2: Or a banana. Bananas a much easier. Mm. Have a great show, gentlemen, and I'll dehydrate you some yeah. food. See you later. Be good. Good stuff. Yeah, dehydrating food. <laughs> that is classic. Hey, uh, in the in my favorite uh, segment of the day, um, you know that was my favorite segment of the day. Here's my second favorite. Bad boys. Gonna do, what you gonna do when they come a woman is wanted. Um, listen to this. Police say a woman tried to get a couple to rob the Pennsylvania fast food restaurant where she worked. Police say 23 year old Alanya Weishner Rush asked the duo to rob the Burger King in Washington, Pennsylvania, on January 14th. The suspect wanted them to rob the restaurant while she was working the drive through window so she could split the money with them later. Police say the couple instead contacted police about the plan and no robbery occurred. The Washington Observer reporter uh, first reported the charges Monday. They were filed last week, and Weissner-Rush faces a preliminary hearing on two counts of criminal solicitation. So, again, in order to help all people, especially criminals, um, you know, know who you're trying to conspire with. If you're going to commit a crime, be careful, don't try to enlist just anybody to come rob you through the fast food window. Hey, also in the uh, in the bad boy, bad boy category, a man is accused of stealing police badges. He's stealing the badges while being questioned by police. Authorities say a Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania man stole several police badges while he was being held for questioning in a domestic dispute. Police say 26-year-old Robert Dingledine stole the badges on October 30th while being questioned. Uh, he said it's by Irwin police, which is a small town, and uh, Dingledine was held in the mayor's office to keep him away from the woman also being questioned in the dispute. Police say that they didn't realize that Dingledine had taken, had taken anything from the office, the mayor's office, but he had really stolen badges. Um, police say Dingledine has since apologized and returned the three other badges that he took he faces a preliminary hearing on May eighteenth on theft-related charges, and he doesn't have an attorney or a listed phone number. Or we would have called Mr. Dingledine just to ask him about his name. Is this Mr. Dingledine? Let's now find the exact uh, pronunciation of Dingledine, which I believe is a German name. Uh, how would we say that, Ben? Okay, give it to me. I can't. Okay, he's got bad eyes. Um, Dingle Dine Dingle Dine Say it again Dingle Dine mm. I actually can't see it I think it's Dingle Dine it up. Oh Dingle Dine yeah Yeah yeah. I like it when you say it It sounds better Hey as you know we like to end the show On a hero story uh, To show how good uh, How there is good in the world And today our hero is Marty Burbank A lawyer and Navy veteran from California Listen to this story. 26 kindergartners have their college paid for thanks to the philanthropy of a a stranger named Marty Burbank. Burbank has pledged to fund each student's tuition for two years at community college and two years at California State School or the equivalent if they want to attend elsewhere. All the kindergartners have to do is draw a picture or write an essay each year about what Uh, going to college will mean for them and their families. Burbank says he's a strong believer in visualizing your goals and wants the kids to have the college on their minds for the next 12 years. Burbank guesses that the total tuition will cost around $1 million by the time the kids graduate in 2032 and has set up a private foundation where he will contribute funds every year. Burbank says he felt like he needed to put together the fund after hearing a sermon about charity and sacrifice He decided against buying a boat and instead has donated the time and money and supplies to Rio Vista Elementary and its teachers uh, several times over the past four years. Burbank hopes that removing the financial burden will help the kids get more encouragement about attending college. The kindergarten teacher, Tessa Ashton, says suddenly they can dream about a different future for their child. That's pretty remarkable. It doesn't have to be a whole class picking up the tab for one child can really make a difference, says Burbank. It certainly has for 26 families in Anaheim so Marty Burbank you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend show giving the dream and keeping it alive uh, for people that actually may not have had the dream you are the hero my friend we're gonna we're gonna call it quits today we're done for the day we'll be back tomorrow more ideas more tools to help you get through life until tomorrow watch out for each other and take care we'll talk again
6: tomorrow